People who think they know more than the vet when they come in to see the vet. Well, they do. I mean, they tell you first everything that they already know about what's going on because they've been reading online. I and I have to, I'm going to admit that I, I am that person. Okay, yeah. I look at I look look it up online. I'm like, yeah. well, it could be this, could be that. Well, okay, better yeah. make a vet appointment. Yeah. But until then, at least I have some knowledge about what that could be. Um, but you know, you you just hope that that the knowledge that you get doesn't make the problem worse. Well, I mean, it makes you worry about things that maybe aren't even a possibility. You it's know. cancer. Well, exactly. Everyone wants to say, is it cancer? I'm like, well, it could be. I don't know. I don't have microscopes in my eyes. Yet. yet. We're working on that. Yet. Exactly. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Conversations. That's T-H-O-M-versations, where the H makes all the difference. How the H are you? I'm Tom Cocaine, your host. And you know, I am really enjoying summertime. You know, get a eat breakfast out on the deck, wearing shorts and short sleeve shirts, getting sunburned, you know, taking walks at night and it's still warm outside, getting drinks of beer in the sunshine. Ah, summer, love summertime. But I, I hate the really, really hot temperatures. But I, I have air conditioning, so I'm okay, but man, it can get really hot. You know, something I want to tell you about is that people have been asking me, What's up with the H? Why does the H make all the difference? What's up with the H? Okay, well, first, uh, my name is Thomas, right? It's my real name, Thomas. Tom is a nickname, and I spell it T-H-O-M for Tom, right? Now, why do I do that? Well, when I was a kid, around uh, junior high, I noticed that some Toms in the world spelled their name T-H-O-M instead of T-O-M. One of the big ones that kind of caught my eye was Tom McCann Shoes. Uh, that really made me think like, I could spell my name differently. And then I started to think more about it. And I realized that my nickname Tom is really short for Thomas, which is spelled T-H-O-M-A-S. Therefore, short for Thomas, T-H-O-M. Now, I thought if your name is Tomas which is T-O-M-A-S, then your short nickname would be T-O-M. There you go. The H makes all the difference. And there's another reason the H makes all the difference, and that is that there is another conversations. But it is T-O-M-versations. And it's also a cartoon. Okay, it's not a podcast. But I didn't know that it existed until after I had thought of conversations podcast name, and then I decided to do an internet search to see if there was one out there. And I was thinking, okay, well, I debated for a very long time to do this because there is already a conversations out there. How is mine going to be different? I'm like, if people, if I tell people the name of the show is conversations, they are in their head going to spell it T-O-M-versations, right? They're just going to spell it that way. But my name is T-H-O-M. So when I did a T-H-O-M-versations, there wasn't another conversations like that. So I thought, okay, well, man, the H really does make all the difference because if you go and you type in conversations, T-O-M-versations, you get something completely different than this podcast. And T-H-O-M-versations, the H makes all the difference. So there you go. That's up. That's what's up with the H. And I get to say, how the H are you? Right, <laughs> which is kind of fun. I like doing it. I hope you enjoy it too. 
But uh, today's conversation is with a very fun person. I think you'll like Cecilia Bales. She's a veterinarian and owns Animal Clinic and Hospital here in Moscow, Idaho, where I take my dogs now and where I used to take Daisy dog before she died. And if you haven't heard the podcast about the death of a friend, Daisy the dog, then um, I suggest you go back and listen to that. You don't have to do it now. You could do it later, but uh, it's it's a good one. Uh, I've gotten many compliments on it and uh, many people liked it. So, But uh, I wanted to talk to a veterinarian, and I wanted to talk specifically to Dr. Kurt, who is the vet that we usually see for our dog, Rody, and who actually put down Daisy for us. And so we have kind of a connection there, and I really wanted to talk to her about being a vet and what it was like, but uh, she didn't want to do it. And that's fine. I completely understand. And I do not want to pressure anyone to have to come into a podcast studio. I mean, that would just, it wouldn't be fun for either of us. Like if I really pressured her to come in, please come in and talk to me about being a vet. But she didn't want to do it, so that's fine. So uh, Dr. Bales, Cecilia Bales, said that she would love to do it. So we sat down, talked about being a veterinarian and the ups and downs of it all. And there's a warning, by the way. Here's the warning. We do talk about suicide, which is a growing problem for veterinarians. So if you are having thoughts of suicide, you're not alone. Reach out. People are available to help 24 hours a day, anytime you want to talk. 800-273-8255. 800-273-8255. But it's a good talk. And uh, so glad that you are here to hear it with me. Okay. And you know what? Our sponsor today, Moscow Brewing Company. It's located right here in Moscow, Idaho, and they are committed to creating the highest quality ales. You know, I was just there the other day, and I think they're getting even better at making beer. And it's all made with locally grown grains and hops. I had what they call the Smash IPA, and it's made from grains created at Washington State University, which is, you know, about 10 miles from here, and with Tahoma hops. So I, I, had, a, I had a couple of those. But uh, do stop in. Tell them, tell owner Brewer Aaron that Tom sent you and enjoy their entire selection they have on tap. You can get a sampler, uh, try them all, uh, but check out Moscow Brewing Company on Facebook and at Moscow Brewing on Instagram. It seems like I always say this, but uh, this is a really good conversation. It's a great podcast today. I think uh, you will really enjoy it. I think that you will gain some usable knowledge, especially if you have pets and you go to see a veterinarian. It's really, it's great. I, I, I've got to say, I think it was, it's one of the better ones we've done here. You know, and the great thing about it, like you, you, like I said, you get some usable knowledge, which is what Conversations is all about. Stories, experiences, and knowledge. I think, uh, yeah, that's enough. Well, that's enough of me blathering on. Let's talk to veterinarian Cecilia Bales. It's conversations. Yeah, I like right. It. So, yeah. thank you. Uh, it's the, I when I first started doing this, very was, witty. Yeah, it's the worst name, best worst name podcast. <laughs> so it's so yeah bad. I see your sign. Yeah. Oh, my nephew did, made that. Yeah. For me. Oh, he must do much graphic design because yeah. that is lovely. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, he has a he go from Perry Technical Institute in Yakima. He's oh, got a degree yeah. in nice. graphic arts. Nice. Well, I think we're doing okay here, as okay. far as I can tell. But who knows. So, well, uh, would you be comfortable introducing yourself? Sure. Go ahead. 
Uh, my name is Cecilia Bales, and um, I am a veterinarian. I graduated from veterinary school at Auburn University in Alabama in 1997. Spent many years in Auburn. It was a wonderful place to be. I have two other degrees, um, undergraduate degree and a master's degree from Auburn. And I met my husband there. He also has a couple of degrees. He has an MBA and um, and uh, business associate's degree. So we have lived in Moscow, though, for 22 years. Wow. So we moved here from Alabama. Um, it was kind of a roundabout way that we ended up in the Northwest. We both are from the East. You know, I'm originally from Canada, but went to school in Alabama. You know, life changes, family and, and stuff. Um, my husband's from Alabama and then lived in Michigan and then back in Alabama for school. And so we both thought we wanted to see the country and do something completely different. So when I was in vet school, I came out to Washington State University in uh, my sophomore between sophomore and junior years and worked at the vet school. And mm. just, you know, one of those little things you see on the bulletin board that says, come to Washington State. And I ripped it off and I went, I'm going to call them, you know. <laughs> I'm going to come to Washington <laughs> State. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to do this. So I made contact with a professor and she was like, oh, you have lab experience because I'd already done my master's degree. Please come out here. So we loaded up the truck and one of our three dogs at the time and um, drove across the country and saw, you know, the Dakotas and Montana and places that we had never, ever been before uh, and absolutely fell in love with this area. So I had to go back and finish school and he wanted to be back out here. So he came back in January of 96, which was like the worst blizzard snowstorm and here's this kid i mean he's from he lived in michigan a long time but yeah. he had his two-wheel drive pickup and he's like yep oh, i'm man. going to idaho and uh he drove through like the worst snowstorm that the place had seen in years oh yeah that's a bad one yeah. i remember that yeah do you yeah. yeah yeah but um he ended up working at northwest river supplies for about 15 years good company yeah loved it Locally there. Owned here. yeah it was a great place for him to be and that's kind of what started us just really seeing the the jewels of this part of the country yeah. so so yeah when i finished school you know i'm just like i'm coming back out there so started working at the animal clinic up the road there and um yeah it's a block and a half from my yeah house. exactly I wa i've walked by this house four hundred thousand times <laughs> i'm sure <laughs> do you walk to work every day i used to i used oh. to live up on sixth and hayes we live oh. out of town now but okay. I, we lived yeah. on sixth and hayes for about eight years oh yeah that's so, a real easy walk yeah so i i walked to work every single day and home for lunch every day and you know it was it was great yeah so and then i bought the practice there three years ago Oh, so, congratulations. Yeah. That's a big step. Yeah, it was a big step. And, you know, I thought, am I too old to own this practice? Ah! Like, well, <laughs> no, I guess I guess now I know how to practice, so now I should be an owner. And in those three years, in the last two years, I do know that you've won, like, awards for yes. being best vet clinic yeah. in, in uh, Moscow or the county. Yeah, or... it's the yeah the, the Daily News does yeah. their Inland 360. Reader Choice yeah. Awards. Yeah, yeah. congratulations. Yeah. That's, that's a really, I mean... I, there's a lot of uh, um, popularity contest with it, yeah. But you know that's a that's a great that's a kind of yeah. accomplishment that other people don't have. You know, I thank you very much. We're very proud of that, and our clients are absolutely wonderful. They they're very supportive and they love us. And you know, I feel like I built that practice because I've literally worked there my entire veterinary career. Oh wow! <laughs> we did one year in Santa Barbara. My husband, when he left NRS, we moved to Santa Barbara, California. 
for a year, and I worked <clears throat> at a small animal clinic there. And, you know, we had three small children at the time, and we were kind of like, this is not sustainable for life living mm. in Santa Barbara, California, although... Beautiful area. Oh, my gosh. It was our year at the beach, and I took oh. full advantage... <laughs> Full advantage of I, going to the beach. I stayed, uh, I used to work, uh, long story short, I used to work for Albertsons Corporation. I used to travel around a lot. I spent two nights in Santa Barbara. I'm like, oh, I can see why this is one of the yes. most expensive properties on, is, in the United States. Yes, Just, absolutely true. And I got to go to the farmer's market there, which is pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah, really yeah nice. we did that. No, Santa we, Barbara. Yeah, we took every advantage of living there and then said, mm, where are we going to go now? <laughs> well, I think we want to go back to Moscow. Yeah. <laughs> So that's when we moved back. That was 2006. And so we've been, we've been, it was like a little hiatus. Well, that, our, that's when I moved here. Well, oh, 2000, right? 2000, take that back. I've been here 12 years, so 2007. Okay. Yeah. yeah very close. Yeah. Yeah. So, but you know, we, we love it. Our children are all born and raised here in Moscow. And so we feel very rooted to this community. Oh, good. It's, it's a good one. <laughs> Everybody I have on here who's, you know, I've had, uh, uh, like uh, a former mayor Nancy Cheney mm-hmm, on here, sure. who's yeah. a, a big uh, vet person, she yes. has a business in yes. vet. Um, uh, but everybody loves us. Oh yeah, everybody loves Moscow. Yeah, it, it's true. And people, people who come here uh, and and are looking for a place to settle, they see you know the the beauty of it. Yeah. You know, they they see the community and and the reason that everybody stays here. And it, you know, it's funny because so many people are not from here. But, you know, I'm not from here. I don't know. You're not from here. And so many people I know are not originally from here. But Yeah, born and raised. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, We could go into the whole, you got to live, leave where where you grew up. Yes, exactly. To to appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, uh, thanks again for coming in. Really appreciate it. No, Um, this is great. So the whole premise of uh, asking a vet to come in is because mm-hmm. I had my dog Daisy put yes. down. I did a podcast about that mm-hmm. and I wanted to talk to my vet, uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Melissa Kurt, mm-hmm. but uh, she doesn't want to do it and that's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, I, yeah. I get it. This is peop- microphones in front of people's <laughs> mouths is a weird thing yeah. and it gives people the heebie-jeebies. Yeah. I totally understand, but yeah. thank you for, for coming in instead. You're welcome. Um, so, um, Let's see. I have all kinds of questions. You and I, bet. I mean, I have pages and pages oh, to ask boy. people about questions uh, about what to ask a vet. And the, the, <laughs> the first thing that came to my mind is, how many times have you been bitten? <laughs> Ooh. Actually, not maybe as many times as you'd think. Um, maybe three or four bad ones and only by cats. Really? Yes. I can understand that. I can understand Dogs that. are much easier to read and much easier to restrain and stay out of their way. Cats, wow. Scary. There's some scary cats out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and, and getting scratched by cats. and I mean, yeah. there's, there's all kinds of diseases that you can get from just the, a cat scratch. Yes. I mean, cat scratch fever it's, is not just a song. It's a real thing. It's a real it thing. It's, it can yes. really affect your health. Yes, it's very true. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So cat bites are, are actually worse than dog bites as well in, in some ways, but, um, but th- those are the bites that I've sustained. Maybe a ferret once. I'm trying to remember. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> you have to see all animals, right? Mm-hmm, I mean, do. do you see large animals too? I do. Yeah. I mean, our practice really sees everything from large cows, horses, goats, whatever, to exotics, which are, you know, lizards and fish even. There are things, you know, veterinary. I didn't even think of that. I didn't think that someone would bring in a fish because it's sick. Yeah. 
No, and there's treatments for them. I mean, there's whole there's books written on fish medicine. I mean, obviously, it's more of a more of a um, typically more of a commercial thing for fish. Mm. But there are also people that have expensive koi ponds with these really expensive goldfish, and they do get skin diseases and funguses and things that you do have to treat to keep them healthy. I'm 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 like a gay here. Like I you know, when you start thinking about all the world's animals yeah. and all the world's pets. I mean yeah. my thought was like, I mean, you gotta see everything from a cow to a parakeet, but you know, and then wow, fish. Yes, <laughs> you know? exactly. And people love them. I mean oh, yeah. for all of these little scalies or furries or whatever they have on them, people love them for whatever reason they have a connection. Yeah. Which is cool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, uh, it, so why why do we have pets? I mean, do you know, is there, have you taken history? You know, like, how did we get pets in general? I, I mean, mean, we could go all the way back to the domestication, right, of, of animals that we used for work. But I think that, I think that um, cats and dogs, especially, that are the most common pets, mm-hmm. they give us, you know, unbridled joy. They give us devotion. They don't judge. They, you know... I, I always say to people when they talk about their dogs, I'm like, they're good company, aren't they? Yes. If you want to go do something, go do something with you. If you want to sit at home and watch TV, they're like, I just want to be near you. So it's it's just great companionship. And um, the human-animal bond has been studied intensively. I can't say I'm up on all that research, but it is huge, and it's getting bigger all the time. And that is actually what's good for veterinary medicine because it makes people want the absolute 100% best for their pets because they're their family members. They're, you know, there are surveys done. Do you consider your dog part of your family? 80% or more people would say yes. It's not the farm dog. It's not the working dog. It is like my child. It's huge. You know, a huge connection. Hmm. Yeah, and and the like Elisa, my wife, was mm-hmm. just uh, that she would just talk about to how when we got married, I had a dog, Daisy, mm-hmm. and uh, that was the first time that she'd ever had an animal live in the house. Like oh, it was actually sure. a roommate. Yeah. Because otherwise she lived, used to live on a farm. The yeah, farm, they the were dog, outdoors. Dog's yeah. outdoors. And, yeah. it, and you let it out and it goes wandering the farm, goes, right. you know, wherever, the orchard as she lives, lives in an orchard. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, she went through like, I don't know what it was, like 10, 15 dogs, you know, right. because dogs... Die. Come and go, right? Yeah, they lick the antifreeze. They, you know, <laughs> right? They right. eat something. They, they eat the poison. They, they right. maybe they got in a fight with a, a pack of dogs that because that's yeah. a thing too. But uh, yeah, I can totally see that. Yeah, from, yeah. The whole shift has changed, and even people that have working dogs, because there are dogs that still do a lot of very important jobs for people, um, even if it's even if it's recreational. You know, your hunting dog or whatever, they still want the very best for them. And if they have an orthopedic injury, they want that fixed so that that dog can come back and work for them, but also enjoy its life and live its full life, you know, doing what it loves to do. So uh, people are very committed to their animals, and that's that's good for veterinarians. You know, something I also I was reading, because I did, you know, got to do some research before mm-hmm, I have sure. somebody in, yeah. and that one of the big differences between uh, people healthcare and animal healthcare is that with animal healthcare, people have a limit of price. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, do, what? How do you? How do people? How do you handle yeah, that? Yeah, um, it can be difficult, and it's hard sometimes 
not to be judgmental because, you know, somebody says, I love this animal with all my heart and soul, but I'm only going to spend $200 on it. So you say, well, um, here's what I can do for $200. What I'd really like to do costs more than that, but I'm going to give you the choice because it is absolutely your choice. And, you know, if the $200 doesn't work and they decide they're going to put it down or just let it kind of, mm, you know, go along and maybe get better and maybe not get better, you just think, well, you say you love it and, I, you know, your money, you put your money where your mouth is sometimes. But there are truly people that don't have expendable money to spend on pets mm. and you sometimes also wonder should they have even gotten a pet i mean we uh. see people that pick up a kitten out of a box of kittens and come in with it you know prostrate and dying and oh. you just say they say i have no money what can you do for me and we think why did you take this kitten home if you can't care for it so, you know, you, you really try not to pass judgment, but ultimately you want to do the best thing and, and ease the animal's suffering and gently tell the person that, eh, you know, I can't do this for free all day, every day, because that doesn't good for my business. So you need to figure out how you're going to take care of this pet if it's something that you want to keep in your life. So it, it is difficult. It, it is very difficult. But on the other hand, there are people that really would, will spend the moon and back. I mean, they will go into debt for their pets. They take out insurance policies and credit cards only for their pets' health care. And, um, you know, we're not in the business of taking money that we don't need to. And sometimes people have had an impression of veterinarians said, oh, they just want your money, right? They mm. just want your money. And that is very hurtful to me. And I've had clients say that to me, and I've had to look them in the eye and say, that is not my intention here. My intention is to do the best I can for your pet. I do not want to take your money if I don't need it. I'm going to tell you what it costs because I have a business to run as well, but I'm not here to rip you off. Please don't tell me that. It's offensive. <laughs> yeah, you think? Yeah. And people say that all the time about vets. The Google machine tells, says, you know, oh, don't, don't go to the vet. Treat it at home. The vet just wants your money. It's, yeah. That's astounding. Yeah. That, that's I mean, astounding. we hear that. That's what we hear as vets sometimes. And it really? And it is hurtful. Huh. Yeah. Vets just And want I'm glad you don't think that because you obviously are surprised to hear that there are people that think that. Well, you know, uh, it, it's, okay, so I'm bringing my own experiences to this whole thing. And the, the one time where I didn't do what was asked, and that is, uh, okay, uh, so try to frame the story. So basically, again, go back to the dog Daisy. Mm -hmm. So when, in her last days, uh, months or so, um, wanted to do uh, a oh come come on brain what's that? I can't think of what it is where you look on the inside by by rubbing uh, oh an ultrasound ultrasound yeah um, and she had uh, um, oh, my brain is going but anyway wanted to do the ultrasound but the but if they could find out what the problem was, mm -hmm. either way, the treatment was the same. Correct. If you could see it or yes. not, so then yep. why yep. do it? Although, you yep. know, at times I'm like, well, I wonder, could it have changed the because I got that thing? But if the treatment is the same, what's yes. the difference if you know yes. what you can see or not? Yeah. And, you know, a good, a good veterinarian, a good doctor, a good clinician, uh, somebody with a good bedside manner is going to talk you through that. And I do that every single day. If I feel like I can gain knowledge by doing a test that is going to cost my client X amount of dollars, I'm going to completely explain that to them. 
And if I don't think it's going to change anything or make any difference in the prognosis um, for the patient, I say, you know, we don't have to do that. It's okay. Hmm. It's okay. But then some people go, well, I really want to know. And like, then I'm happy to do it. <laughs> so the, something else about uh, pet care is that um, um, animal health insurance mm-hmm. was made, something that's different about it is it's made specifically for animals and created from Correct. the ground up where human health care has been kind of really cobbled together and it's very, not very uh, user-friendly mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. A, at all. Yes, I'm <laughs> Any, sure. Anywhere, yeah, anywhere yeah. right? So is it is animal health insurance, is it worth it? Is it not worth it? What do you think? I think it is worth it for a lot of people. Um, the key is getting the insurance when the pet is young. You know, oh, yeah. pets only live, what, 10 to 15 to 18, 20 years, if you're absolutely really lucky. Mm-hmm. Um but they don't start having problems till they're five or six sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that's already halfway through their life. And most pet insurance companies are very leery of pre-existing conditions. And by the time your pet is five, it could have bad joints already. It probably has bad teeth. It could already have a skin condition. So, you know, getting that insurance early in its life is key. And the people that I know, and I'm going to tell you, it's probably way less than 20% of our clients that have pet insurance. It's very, it's still quite uncommon for people to have pet insurance. It seems, still seems weird. Yeah, and, and it, it, it does take some forethought, and it also takes paying up front. So you, it's, not, it's not for someone who really doesn't have any money. It's for somebody who really wants to save money or eventually, you know, do the right thing for their pets when it does blow their ACL and needs surgery to say I can afford that kind of treatment because I have this insurance, but they have to pay up front and then the insurance company typically reimburses them. Uh, yeah. So unlike our healthcare where we walk in and go, I'm paying my $20 co-pay and send all the rest to wherever it goes and yeah. see what happens. You still have to have some money up front to be able, and you're paying premiums of course, also for the insurance. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't want to get too deep into it, yeah. but is it, is it affordable? I mean, yeah. I mean, I think there are policies and there's, quite a few companies out there now. Um, so there's lots for people to choose from. There are policies that are maybe $20 a month, which doesn't sound like a lot, especially mm-hmm. if you start with a puppy. Um, so insur- that's what, $240 a year? Yeah. That's yeah. A less than a dollar a day. Yeah. And they are going to sometimes require you to have all of your preventative stuff, just like in human medicine. It's like you can't not go to the vet for six years and pay your insurance, and then all of a sudden when you go six years later, you've got all these horrendous <laughs> health problems right. that you expect them to pay for. No, they want you to go regularly and check its teeth and you know, identify problems as they come up. So I think they, they really have their hearts in the right place. I don't think they're trying to rip people off. I think they're really trying to help people do better medicine for the entire life of their pets. Duly noted. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What? Because I think about all the times I take the dog into the vet, and you know, it's and you pay out of pocket. You, know? you do. It's yeah. it's expensive. It is expensive. You know, and if at twenty dollars a month, you know, if you spend, you know, I, I think the average visit, like when when uh, Daisy was dying, I think the average visit was about one hundred and fifty dollars mm-hmm. because you're going mm-hmm. in there, and she was taking a pill that had to have 
twice a day and then you got oh, a four sure. pack for like $25. Right. That's an expensive pill. Yeah. I'm like, good Lord. Right. No, I'm thinking yeah. that, that's when I'm like, I should have got vet, vet or, you know, health right. insurance for my right. dog. Um, yeah. So at that end of life stuff is when they really, that's when you really have to go to the vet right. quite often. Towards the we end. Did. Yeah. Um, you know, is there, because we talk about this uh, with that uh, health care, mm-hmm. is there something that people can do like uh, that they don't do for their pet to keep them healthy? That's like a very common thing. People should be doing this to keep their pet healthy, but they don't. Well, I'm going to say annual exams, you know, with a veterinarian, seeing a veterinarian once a year. You know, even if you think your pet is young and healthy, even if it doesn't need any necessarily need any vaccinations, do you look in its ears? Do you look in its mouth? Do you look at all its teeth? Do you listen to its heart? Do you look at its weight, its fur condition, its joint condition? You know, it's a, a wellness exam from a veterinarian, I think, is completely overrated, or I'm sorry, underrated. <laughs> yeah. Underrated. It's not overrated. No. <laughs> people need to do it. Right. Um, so, so, yeah. Some people think, oh, my dog's been healthy for five years. Why should I go to the vet? Mm. No, you should have come every year yeah. for that visit. So, yeah, that's, you know. And, and, you know, the other problem out there, as it is probably in many um, specialties, is people that do their own online research and <laughs> decide oh, that yeah. they are now oh, they're qualified to make all these decisions for their pets because they've read about it online. And it, I'm sure it's just like people do that with their own health, but it can be frustrating. And, and they only see us at the tail end when all the things they've tried haven't worked. You know, rather than talk to us at the beginning, they'd rather mess with the problem for three or six months or a year before they decide, eh, I guess I should finally go to see a vet. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> but I had... I, I, that's I bet uh, just you know, human doctors. Yeah. Do oh, that. I'm sure they do. I hope they do. I hope they do as much as we do because it's <laughs> daily in our practice. Daily. What do you do to counteract that? Just anything? Well, I listen to what people tell me that they've already looked up and I'd say I love to tell them they're wrong and say, actually, my experience in my education tell me this, this, and this. And they're like, oh, I didn't read about that. I'm like, that's why you're here in front of me, and I hope you listen to me and not the things that you've, you know, read about online. But it's challenging, and it and it beats you down sometimes. Really? It, it makes you feel unimportant, and, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I've been doing this a very long time, and I've seen that that change in the attitude of the client probably over the last, you know, five to ten years for sure, with just the, you know, the the onset of, of internet access to blogs and chats and, you know, sites and Facebook and, you know. Web Pet MD. Yes, all kinds of places that you can get information or people's opinions about um, what's going on with your pet rather than walk in the door and actually see a veterinarian. So, you know, I had to ask somebody plain out, you know, as they told me what was wrong with their cat, as the cat sitting on the table in front of me, they told me everything they knew about what was wrong with it and what was going on. And I looked at him and I was just, he wouldn't even let me speak. And I said, um, do you know how to treat this? And they're like, um, no, maybe. Well, it's like, well, do you want to hear what I have to say? <laughs> it was just shocking to me. I was like, why did you even come in here? Because you don't even really want to hear what I'm 
going to tell you. <laughs> so odd. Okay, that's that's extreme. I hope. Yeah, I'm not going to say it's that uncommon. Wow, <laughs> people who think they know more than the vet when they come in to see the vet. Well, they do. I mean, they tell you first everything that they already know about what's going I on see. because they've been reading online. I and I have to, I'm going to admit that I I am that person. Like yeah. I I that I go like okay, the dog has X. Well, yes. What is that on the foot? They've yeah. got a thing on the foot. Okay, I yeah. look at I look look it up online. I'm like, yeah. well, it could be this, could be that. Well, okay, better yeah. make a vet appointment. But yeah. until then, at least I have some knowledge about what that could be. Um, but you know, you you just hope that that the knowledge that you get doesn't make the problem worse. Well, I mean, it makes you worry about things that maybe aren't even a possibility. You it's know. cancer. Well, exactly. Everyone's saying, is it cancer? I'm like, well, it could be. I don't know. I don't have microscopes in my eyes. Yet. yet. We're working on that. Yet, yeah. exactly. No, I'm happy for people to be informed. I really, really am because that is also helpful for us. It's like if you are informed and you've read a list of differentials, 20 things long, mm -hmm. and I say, well, I need to do a blood work and an x-ray and an aspirate and some things to get information so that we can rule in or out things on this differential list. They say, oh, right, because I read about all those things that it could be. And so, yeah, I think that we should do all those things to know what's what. Uh -huh. You know, so I, I like for people to be informed, but telling me what you... Not to be a know-it-all. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not going to be rude, but... <laughs> Well, I'll I'm be, happy I'll to be listen. rude for you. I'll be rude for you. I mean, people are. I mean, that's just in, in general. People yes, like to be know-it-alls because they think they 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 a little knowledge can be a dangerous thing. Yes, it's true. And I'm I'm definitely guilty of that because I, <laughs> I you know I am not the smartest person and I know a little about a lot right. of things. Right. And the older you get, the more the littler you know. Right. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah. Oh, no. So when it comes to like, I was going to ask that. Like, is there um, when people come in and. Uh, like uh, that have this knowledge, is it difficult for you to kind of um, see a pet that is in distress and it's because of the person? Um, at that point, I mean, I do not judge and I do not want to make people feel guilty ever hmm. because whatever their situation was, whether it was money, financial, family, whatever, it has taken them X amount of days to get their pet into the vet. So I am... I'm not going to be mean about any of that or judge them in any way. But I will say uh, this could have, you know, we could have prevented this from getting this bad. I mean, next time we see something like this, we should do something right away because the last three weeks, this has obviously gotten worse. It makes it harder to treat at this stage. I love to educate people at that point, and I think that they do listen to me because they are trusting my experience and my, you know, my doctoring skills at that mm -hmm. point because they really know that they haven't made whatever it was better. So that's a that's an okay place to be as long as we can still save the patient. Sometimes we can't, and it's uh, it's it's sad. And and the people realize it, and there's no reason to make anybody feel guilty about whatever choices they've made, because you can't go backwards. You just try to do the best you can at that point. So, yeah, but it can be tough sometimes. Well, uh, speaking of tough, uh, I had read that suicide is a very growing problem mm -hmm. among vets. It and is. And it has to do with 
let's see, I've got my notes here. So I've got, it was a combination of many things that, uh, one is that, where is that question? Uh, the, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, this is this is why I make notes, and then I look at them and I go, "Wow, that's a really big question." <laughs> and they're even typed out; they're not like chicken scratch yeah. handwritten. Well, that's like my notes. I'm like, "Wait, I think I wrote that." <laughs> uh, but uh, the, it is a big problem, and it's, it has a lot of it too. Has to do with not just uh, the the vet care itself, mm-hmm. but the um, but having to do with student debt mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. the so where. Where help me out here? Yeah. What's your opinion, or do you have anything that I mean can help with that? I do. You, are you suffering from it? Do you? I am not. No, that is not my personality at all. Yes, bad days happen, but there are plenty of good days, and I still love this career, and I still love this job, and I can't imagine doing anything else. And I've felt that way my entire veterinary career, but I think I'm in the minority. I really do. I I have known vets around me, whether they've been out of school a year or 10 years or 20 years, that feel emotionally burned out. They feel underappreciated. Whether or not they have debt still hanging over their head, that could be part of it. Um, But the younger vets that are graduating these days are hugely in debt, and it's a real, real problem for them. Um, and we have just hired a new graduate who's wonderful, but she says that they actually have to take a class now, uh, although it's kind of a flash in the pan compared to the other volumes of material they're being given, you know, through veterinary school. But they do have to take some sort of a class on on how to fat or how to deal with the next step of becoming a veterinarian, of having a life, of you know, choosing a job that's going to help you pay your bills and prioritizing your student loans. and But it's it's something that nobody ever told me when I graduated in 1997, you know, and that wasn't that long ago. But, you know, we were said, we were told, get out there and be a doctor. <laughs> you yeah. can do this. You're yeah. ready. Yeah. Now they're like, well, you should probably find someone to help you and you should probably get a mentor and... um. Yeah, I, I think that there are certainly things that, that newer graduates have to deal with that I didn't have to deal with, mm-hmm. you know, 22 years ago. Um, and sometimes they, uh, whether it's mentally unstableness or just stress of life in general that's higher at this day and age than when I was in school, it, it has taken its toll. And and again, I don't think it's just younger vets, it's, it's older vets too. And that emotional burnout issue is real. It is real. It is an emotional job. And, you know, even with what you went through with your dog, Daisy, I can only imagine, and I didn't know her or you at that time, and Dr. Kurt, who took care of you, is an extremely compassionate veterinarian, and I've known her for many, many years. That compassion that we are portraying to our clients and to their pets and to their families I come home sometimes and it's just like I can't even think or feel because I've had so many ups and downs of emotions throughout the day. And that was the first um, 
I think the first thing that was identified in veterinarians when the suicide issue started to happen, and that's probably been 10 years or more, is that veterinarians are having not just burnout of getting up in the morning and going to work every day, it's emotional burnout. It's like you have you pour so much of your heart and soul into your patient relationships and your client relationships that you don't have much left for yourself sometimes. Wow. So and, and I, you know, I'm no psychologist and I don't <laughs> whatever never uh, pretend to know what people are feeling mm-hmm. necessarily, but but I do feel like that's a problem for some people. And for me personally, I just think I have the kind of personality that perseveres through that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I've raised three children, and I have a husband and a family that I love. Um, but yeah, there there are days that you don't have much left. You're numb <laughs> from making six people cry in a row, or seeing a family say goodbye to their pet. And they're sobbing, and all you can think of is all the pets, all all the pets that you've lost, and how hard that was. Uh, so it's it is very emotional, yeah, very um, all consuming sometimes. Wow. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for because yeah. uh, uh, the, 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 I, getting to know something that I had read too is like okay, you you know this pet since it was born. Yeah. And you treat it its whole life. Yes, and absolutely. now you are responsible for its death. Yeah. That right there has to be an emotional toll. I mean, just it the is. just the it was hard for us just to call the vet and say, We need to make an appointment to have our dog yeah. put down. And then and as uh you know, we're, we're sitting there, the dog is dead, we just kill it, we're all crying. Dr. Kurt is crying, and yeah. then you know, that was eight thirty in the morning, then she has to get up and go to work. Yeah. Like that is, that is, I mean, I, I took the rest, I wanted to take the rest of the day right. off, but I took a half a day of work and I should have taken the rest of the yeah. day off because I was just, that was. You're a mess. I it's, was a total mess. It's huge. It's a huge thing in your life. And we totally understand that, but you're exactly right. You have to walk out of that appointment where it's, and the ones that kill me are the older people who say, I'm so old right now. This is the last pet I'm ever going <sighs> to have. Right, right. And that happens all the time, and it breaks my heart. Wow. But you have to walk out of that appointment and go see, you know, Mrs. Jones with Fluffy's wellness exam and just be happy and chipper and Fluffy is happy and healthy and you're so happy for them, but yet your heart has broken two minutes before. Wow. And it's it. Wow. That's it. It makes it for a crazy day. (laughs) That's a toll. It is. That's a burden. It is. It is. You don't have time to actually finish, you know, and whatever people who know more about psychology probably would say, if you're really that emotional at 10.05, by 10.15, where did that emotion go? (laughs) You know, you have to turn it off and turn on something else. And, you know, not that you're faking it for your next client, but you're, you're in your heart, you still have some sadness from you know, literally minutes prior to that. Wow. Yeah. That's wow. crazy. Huh. Crazy stuff. We're talking about suicide here. And if you or someone you know is thinking about suicide, there is help. The Suicide Prevention Hotline number is 800 273 8255. 800 273 8255. Someone is available 24 hours a day, every day. And you know, we all need a little help sometimes. Maybe it's time for someone to help you. 800 
273-8255. And, you know, having, having practiced as long as I have now, and especially in this wonderful close-knit community, I have seen families, you know, have their puppy with their, their great little kids and seen all those kids grow up and that puppy grow up and get old and then see that family come back together with adult children and put that pet to sleep. And it is full circle. And I'm not going to say that I don't like to do euthanasias because it is a part of the pet's life and there is a time and a need for it and it's helping that pet. But I just know what it leaves, you know, the hole it leaves in, in the family, especially having seen that family, you know, for 10, 12 years or longer with that pet. So, and that's what I actually, you know, it sounds weird to say I love that, but it makes me feel just so close-knit with this community because of that bond yeah, it's a definite that I've bond. had definite with bond. people. And, yeah. uh you know, when you go to vet school, you think you're going to treat animals. <laughs> There's a lot of people that you treat as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that is that uh, more or difficult or less difficult than treating um, animals? It's funny because now... Uh, there's a huge part of vet school, and this was actually started at Washington State University, this um, communication uh, track that vets that vet students have to go through. So Washington State started the program. It's something that they do as, <clears throat> as a sophomore, and um, they revisit it when they go into their senior year when they're actually having client interactions. Um, it was nothing that was ever mentioned, not even a minute when I was in vet school. Hmm. But it's how to talk to people and how to listen to people and how to interpret what they're saying and how to read their body language. And it's crazy. It's amazing. I think it's wonderful. But I never had that kind of training. But uh, yeah, it's it's a huge thing to, to know how to talk to people. Yeah, it's, that sounds pretty vital. It is. It really is. But, you know, back in the day when you wanted to go to vet school... That's nothing you ever thought about ever having to do in your career. But, you know, it's funny because people and all the vets that I know, especially the wonderful vets that I work with at my practice, they will say, wow, so-and-so just unloaded on me about their husband's leaving them or their kid is sick or their mom is having trouble. And they don't want to just talk about their pets. They want to talk about their life to us, their veterinarian. It happens all the time, and I don't know why. I think, I don't know if it's just a bond that happens over this pet that they love, and I say also it's all the time that uh, I know more about people's lives and homes and daily routines probably than their own doctors do. Because mm. when they tell me about Fluffy's problem, they're like, well, you know, we lay in bed and then my window's right here by the bed and then the dog looks out the window and then we get up and we do this for breakfast. I'm like, I hear their whole day just to tell me how the dog is doing. And so I feel like I know them. I'm like, well, I don't know that I really wanted to hear about <laughs> what you're doing in bed, but <laughs> you just told me. So <laughs> it's just so funny. Wow. And then, you know, I don't know. I think that vets overall have that effect on their clients. It's not just me. It's not just the vets at my practice. I think mm -hmm. it's all of us. 
Huh, you've got so you, you basically create a bond, yeah, for, because uh, somebody brings in their pet. They can talk to you like almost like third person. Yes, exactly. Because you're talking about the pet to yeah. somebody else, but yeah. it's because of the connection between the pet and you. So it's like a third party. Yeah, kind it's of a, so interesting. I'll be darned. Yeah. <laughs> huh. But it really gives you a window into their life. Sometimes more than you want to see. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, okay. <laughs> <It's funny. laughs> and we laugh about that. And when when vets get together and tell stories about things they've seen or heard in exam rooms, it gets funny. <laughs> I bet. Well, what, uh, uh, so I was asking friends, like, you know, what kind of what kind of questions they ask, and somebody said, uh, uh, "How long do you have to know someone before you start telling people the gross vet stories?" <laughs> Oh, not very long because I love telling them. <laughs> Those are my favorite. Well, do you have a favorite one? <laughs> a gross. Well, it doesn't have to be gross. Story. Do you have a favorite story that you like to tell about being a vet? <laughs> um, I'm sure I'll think of one. I mean, I have a lot of them that I've liked to tell over the years, but uh, oh gosh. They're all blanking on me. I'll okay, think of well, something. Okay, well, I'll think of something. Yeah. So um, there's, how do you keep up with what's going on in veterinarian uh, medicine? I mean, it's just, I just think about, like you're talking about stuff about fish. I mean, mm-hmm, when mm-hmm. it comes to being a doctor, okay, it's about people. I mean, yeah. it's, it, maybe it's different diseases or mm-hmm, something about mm-hmm. people. Yeah. But you're studying one type of physiology. Right, right. Um, well, even doc- human doctors are so specialized nowadays that you know they are learning they're just doing skin or just doing eyes or just doing endocrinology and as a general practitioner as a veterinarian who's a general practitioner um we see everything from just maintenance care to really involved orthopedic diseases or really involved medical workups um, conferences are kind of the way that I've gone to as of late. I mean, yes, there are journals, there are online sources for a lot of those things, um, but I just don't have time to sit down and read them. So I, when I go to a conference, whatever the conference is on, it takes me away from my daily chores and routines and work and all the things that I have to do there. It takes me away and puts me, like, submerges me in learning, mm-hmm. and I love it. I mean... It just you just eat it up. You feel so kind of energized, and you know I've got all this new information. And you go and hear the experts talk, and you meet vets from all over the country, and so it's pretty cool. I do love going to 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 talks and and conferences all over the country, all over the world. You could yeah. do a you could do one in you know Australia if you wanted to. Are there <laughs> are there any locally? Oh yeah, absolutely. I would think yeah. that the that yeah. WSU would. Yeah, I mean they have they have a local um, conference and um, yeah, they're they're in Coeur d'Alene and Post Falls and Lewiston and you know they might not be very big talks or very long talks. There's an Idaho Veterinary Medical Association that has a meeting every year that has you know brings speakers in. So yeah, and there's a lot of online continuing education as well. You know that you're not actually sitting in front of the speaker, but. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, that's it's all available out there. There's plenty of good information. Is there something that uh, right that's going on right now that you're really excited about in uh, veterinary medicine? Um, I mean, they <laughs> the the drug companies, which are you know they we're their bread and butter, and and uh, 
they are coming up constantly with very new ways to treat old diseases. Hmm. And there are some really amazing things, even over the last few years, that have come out for the treatment of allergies in dogs, because skin allergies and itchy skin and bad skin is a huge thing that affects so many dogs and cats, uh, and it makes their lives miserable. So, um, so yes, there are drug companies that have come out with new ways to treat those things, which is really cool. There's always new surgical techniques. I love to do surgery. Um, and so, you know, learning new a new surgery and a way to treat an animal, I do enjoy that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, there's I, I try to keep I try to keep up, <laughs> and if I don't, I look it up later. So, is that something too that uh, that vets do as well? Is uh, do most vets do surgery? I think so. Um, getting surgical experience is sometimes hard, I think, for especially new graduates if they don't go to a practice that does a lot of surgery um, because surgical referral practices have become quite commonplace. And so many surgeries that that I do and that we do at our clinic here in Moscow, uh, there are a lot of places that would refer those type of surgeries to a surgical specialty clinic just because the vets that work there either don't have the experience or don't feel comfortable doing them. So when you come out of school, you can spay and neuter things for sure. You can do, you know, abdominal exploratories, but you really have to get proficient to feel comfortable to do a lot more than that. So, and I love to mentor new graduates and I think that um, new graduates like to go to a practice that has, you know, people there that can teach them and help them to gain their confidence and gain their uh, experience to to do better. Yeah, that's one of the great things about, again, about Moscow. Yeah. You know, it's a college town pretty yeah. much. I mean, the University of Idaho yeah. is here. And so that there's a lot of culture of, uh, of um, learning, teaching the next generation. Yeah of what's going on in, in all kinds of fields. I mean, I do it. I work for radio. Yeah, so right. I mean, we have students in there. I bet they're a lot, a yeah, lot of students, yeah, you know, at any yeah. given time um, and yeah. on air doing, doing, doing it, you know, yeah. before they even graduate, they're actually on the air doing right. the job. You got to get the experience. Yeah. yeah. To kind of, you know, mentor them, help them along the way. So mm-hmm. it's very important. And yeah. it's nice to know that, that your practice is in that way. Yeah. That, a yeah. kind of a teaching hospital kind of idea. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, having a vet school so close to us here, we do have a lot of students and we do take fourth year vet students into our practice that basically are there doing a, they're doing a rotation for school. They're getting a grade on it, but, um, but they're also, you know, learning from us as private practitioners in a private practice that is very different from caseload that they see at a veterinary teaching hospital that is only referral and they, you know, most of their clinicians are specialists, you know, so they're Mm. seeing things that we would refer because we can't deal with them or they need something more than what we can do for them. So they love coming to our practice and learning how to look in ears and learning how to express anal glands and learning how to do skin scrapings. And Wait, 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 (laughs) wait, wait. Express <laughs> anal glands. How many dogs have you had? Have you never had, never had an anal gland problem with your dog? No. 
<laughs> not, is there wood to knock on? I'll no, knock, my, knock on. Yes, wood, you do not wood. want that to happen. No, no. And, and, and I don't want to do it. This is why I come to your practice That's so you can exactly express it. my dog's anal gland. Yes. Uh, yes. Okay. The, there are some funny anal gland stories out there because, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, nobody ever wants to deal with them, but we do it every day. Really? <laughs> yes. Ah. Every day. Ah. <laughs> Okay, yes. now I know why I'm not a vet. That Just that right well, there turns me up. here's the thing, though, Tom. Uh, yeah. This is what I say. I say if, if people had anal glands, and they don't, if people had anal glands, that would be one more reason not to be a human doctor, <laughs> because people are gross. <laughs> <laughs> a dog's anal glands? Well, it's a dog. Yeah, it doesn't. It's got anal glands. If that was a human... Oh my God! No way. <laughs> uh, so, uh, oh, uh, yes. yeah, do we want? How deep do we want to go into this? Yes. Sure. How deep do we want to go? Into <laughs> this? Yes. Uh, yes. So, how what happens then if we're talking about dogs' anal glands? <laughs> why why do they have them? And then how does it get like uh, go so haywire? I, yes. Well, I, if I had the answer to the second part of that question, I would be out of business because uh, no, because uh, it's your business. Like yeah, because oh, we do a lot of anal gland issues. Wow, um, anal glands are scent marking glands. I see. So they are, you know, in days of old when the dogs all looked like, you know, the coyotes or whatever, and when they would defecate, they would get a little bit of this scent mark that came out on out on their feces, and they would mark around their territory. And so the next dog that came around smelled that anal gland scent and go, "Oh yeah, I know, that's you know that's his territory." So, but now you know they don't need them for anything, and they are two little glands that empty out into the anus at four o'clock and eight o'clock. If you're looking at the you know. Uh, <laughs> Okay, like a clock, so yes, four yes, and yes. eight. Okay. And um, they do secrete fluid, but the problem comes when those ducts get plugged and their anal glands fill up and the dog is, you know, scooting across your rug and yeah. they're itchy oh. and uncomfortable and so they do have to be expressed. And there are some YouTube videos out there that are very amusing on how to express your dog's <laughs> anal glands at home. Oh, I so I, I and people try it. And oh, that can't be good. I think there are some people that can do it, but uh, there are a lot of people that maybe do it once, and then it's worth every penny to come into our <laughs> practice and have us do it for them. <laughs> can you charge just like an exorbitant amount because of that? Oh, uh, we we don't. It, it's it's a necessity, and it makes the dogs much more comfortable. But you know, anal glands have shot into ladies' purses. They have shot into people's eyes. They have expressed Ugh. into you know. Don't. It's always the old, Ugh. the old, uh, the old um, joke, which you know, don't stand with your mouth open. Don't stand behind the dog. <laughs> it's. <laughs> I'm so glad we're having this conversation. Yeah. I am so glad. This yeah. Is... Yes. Something wow. to Something to laugh about for sure. Oh. But. <laughs> what? Uh... It... <sighs> okay. Uh... <laughs> They're useless. And if things go really bad, we take them out. So, <laughs> but it's wow. kind of a major surgery. So most people don't go down that road. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Anal glands are, are a funny thing. And yeah, it's. There's lots of vet jokes, and there's lots of vet jokes about anal, you know, in the veterinary business, feeling, oh, yeah, well, you're going to get anal glands on you today. Oh, you think you're, you're going out to dinner tonight? Uh, no, because you're going to smell it for the rest of the day. Oh, is it really that bad? <laughs> oh, yes. It's really that bad. 
So what do you do? What's the prep? Uh, a latex glove. You don't plug anything. You don't plug your nose or anything. No. <laughs> wow. And a and a can of Febreze. <laughs> that does it. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it's windows and time and fans and. <laughs> and this is something you do every day. Every day, anal glands are a daily occurrence. Yes. <laughs> and you know, some animals excrete them when they get frightened, so it's sort of a response that they'll kind of let their anal glands go so sometimes you have a dog getting ready for surgery or you're taking an x-ray or drawing its blood and it just gets freaked out and it just expresses its anal glands just wherever it is and it goes down your leg or it goes in your shoe or yeah (laughs) the joys of being a vet (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah but you know it's all all in a day's work Wow, <laughs> I really had no. So, do are are male dogs more prominent? The, 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 no, male, female it doesn't really matter. I'm going to say fat dogs uh, sometimes uh, can have more problems. And it used to be that smaller dogs had more problems than larger breed dogs. But we see just as many large dogs that have anal gland issues as small dogs these days. Wow. Yeah, I didn't know that was a problem. Yeah. Oh, it's a problem. It can be a problem. I did. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, I've had, I've had, yeah, yeah, dogs and no anal gland problems. Well, I hope that I would not wish it on anybody. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so that's 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 where the uh, that's where the uh, the students come in. Is that <laughs> it, well? It's true. I I will sometimes say if I have a student in the room with me, I'll say, well, you know, um, Susie here, who is going to be a doctor in about six months, she's an anal gland expert. <laughs> So she would love to do your dog's anal glands for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Susie is like, no, I'm not, I know. Yeah, no, no. It is something they need to learn. So. Well, yeah. I mean, if it's something that's so prominent. Yeah, no. And it's not something you get taught in vet school. They don't teach you. They teach you what they are and where they are. And anatomy wise, you know, you know, where they embryologically came from. But as far as like actually expressing an anal gland and knowing whether or not that's normal, that's not usually something you actually learn in vet school. <laughs> wow. It's like in a, so is it is it like a cold? Like for doctors I always seeing people with a cold or a flu and you get to see Yeah. Well it's clients. yeah, it's just it's very common. It's very, very common. Well, is there something that comes in more often than not? Like what do what do vets see on a daily basis? Like um, what, do you, what what are the things you see? I want to say like there are many of the companies that will do, you know, top 10 reasons and actually insurance companies have the top 10 reasons that people come to the vet. Um itchiness or like ear issue or vomiting or diarrhea. Those are like the top reasons that people come to the vet. Okay. Skin or GI. Something noticeable. Yeah, something that they can see that there's something wrong with their dog. So, and, you know, diarrhea, of course, obviously, if it's all over your house, you're going to the vet that day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it, those are the most common reasons for people to bring their pets in. But, you know, pets get hurt, too. They, they get <clears throat> hit by cars, they get in fights, they cut themselves, they cut their feet, they break their toes, they break their legs, you mm-hmm. know, all kinds of trauma. Trauma is pretty high up on the list, too, I would say, especially this time of year, because people are so active with their pets. Yeah. So. 
Huh. Yeah, dog uh, Rody was just uh, like went to go visit Elisa's parents, live out on the, mm-hmm. on the farm, and just running around. And all of a sudden, we're like, going, she's kind of limping. Yeah. You know, right. we thinking, oh, she stepped on like a goat head or, yeah. you know, some got something, something in her stuck. foot. So go looking at her foot, and oh my God, she's got this like her skin had flat, was just like cut <sighs> and was flapped open. And she's just kind of licking it like, you right, know, right. didn't seem to be too, you know, yeah. sussed about it. And yeah. like, what the heck? We kind of think maybe she got hit like a little barbed wire oh, somewhere. Oh, of course. And right. just really just totally f- just flayed open her, her skin. And yeah. what, what really blew me away is there is no blood. Oh, right. Just get the sub-Q tissue and yeah. yeah. you could see yeah. you could see muscle and everything yeah. there, but like that right. just blew me away. There was no blood. <laughs> like, oh, well, we got to take her, you know, take her to the vet right yeah. away and get it stitched up. And she's like it never happened right i know so strange they're so stoic they i mean i've i've seen a lot of animals that have sustained quite a a huge amount of trauma and they literally are just like yeah okay i mean you don't want it to to think that they're not in pain because i think they feel the pain but they are just so stoic they're not going to lay there screaming and crying and you know we we talk about the spays and neuters that we do every day and you know, humans that undergo hysterectomies, you're laid up for two weeks. You know, you're not doing anything. You're not moving at all. These dogs want to, they want to, they're not supposed to, you know, they want to run around and do their normal stuff two days after surgery or the day of if they're puppies. <laughs> yeah, so literally. they just are like, okay, I just move along and go with the flow. It doesn't matter to me, but. Yeah. So, so you just mentioned spay and neuter. Like, mm-hmm. okay. Um, why should people spay and neuter their pet? Oh, this is a good one. Um, <clears throat> I mean, not only for um, population control, which is huge, and I think most people, even if they think, oh, I've got the best dog in the world, there's probably no reason to let it have a litter of puppies or let it breed with a female and have puppies. Just, you know, there's just a lot of puppies in the world. There's a lot of dogs in the world. Um, but health-wise, you know, that's kind of what we see. We see mammary tumors in, in unspayed female dogs. We see infections in the uterus in unspayed female dogs. Um, they can have a lot of issues as time goes on. And male dogs can have similar issues with prostates and urinary tract issues and testicular problems. So, um, so there are health issues and even behavior issues um, hormonally that some of these dogs can have problems just, you know, from having the effects of, of hormones from their reproductive organs over the course of their life can cause weakening of muscles or, you know, issues that can cause problems. So I am a real proponent of spaying and neutering under the age of one. So usually by the time they're six to eight months old, we'll spay or neuter. Even earlier, sometimes we see a lot of animals for the Humane Society here in town and, um, will spay and neuter for them at about three months of age because they do want all their pets spayed and neutered before they go on, go out to homes. So, and you know, there's, there are studies out there that, that might say there's a detriment to early spay and neuter or that there's an advantage to keeping animals intact for longer. But yeah, I think the jury is kind of still out. And and I and again, I listen to people and if they say, well, I want my German shepherd to gain all of the effects of his testosterone to get big and muscular, I'm not going to lie. It's true. Dogs that are not spayed and neutered while they're still growing up to the age of two or three, they do get a little bit of a different body style. It causes their mm. bones to to 
to grow in a little different way when they do have the effects of their um, hormones. But after that, if you're not going to breed them, it is really better for their health to to be fixed. So basically, what what I'm hearing is that if you're not if you if uh, let's say like uh, our dog Rody, big mm-hmm. mutt, beautiful yes. mutt, lovely dog, yes, lovely. But uh, but and so that's kind of like a regret we have a little. It's yeah. like wish we wouldn't have because she is such a beautiful dog to yeah. get somebody else and have a litter, yeah, and to have like just a litter of yeah. those puppies would be great. But then to keep not spay her would be detrimental. So what I'm Correct. hearing from you is if you're going to do this, do it early. Yeah. But if not, have do a litter unless it's a breeding dog of some kind. Right. I mean, if you have a dog that's that's pedigreed, the the other thing I also think about is you have this little dog that you love, that's your pet, that um is part of your family. Why do you want to put it through having puppies? You know, being you know, with a male, that's not a pleasant experience for some dogs, the dog, you know, whatever the other dog is, that's going to breed it. Mm -hmm. Then it has to go through pregnancy. Then it has to give birth to the puppies. Then it has to nurse the puppies. I'm not going to tell you that's pleasant for a lot of dogs. So why do we want to take this pet that we love and say that we want it to go through that? I think it's ridiculous. (laughs) <laughs> just just for our own yeah. gratification. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it is it's, a really selfish thing, isn't it, it? It is a strange it is a strange thing. Yeah. But people don't normally think about what the pet has to go through and God forbid yeah. the pet has a complication, especially a female dog having puppies. I hope you have a couple thousand dollars stashed away to take care of a C-section or some sort of an emergency yeah. that happens while that dog is having puppies. And most people that want to breed their dogs would never think of that. Yeah, it's just going to be fine. Everything's fine. Yeah, yeah. It's a dog. Yeah, it's a dog. It's a dog. It's going to spit out 12 puppies and nurse them and be fine. And yes, I'm going to say that does happen quite a bit. It's true. Yeah. (laughs) People don't even know their dogs are pregnant and all of a sudden like, well, what's that in the closet? (laughs) It's got puppies. (laughs) This happens. It really does. Wow. Not paying attention. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. Yeah. So get it. Get it taken care of. Don't worry about it. <laughs> okay. So what is the process of spaying and neutering? <clears throat> so um, so spaying a dog, and there are some different procedures that are out there. Um, it, as of late, I'm going to say in the last five to ten years, time flies for me sometimes, mm. um, they are talking more about just taking the ovaries out of a dog because the ovary is what Um, produces the hormones that affects the mammary tissue, that affects the uterus, that can cause some of those complications. So doing just an ovariectomy, not an ovariohysterectomy, which is also removing the uterus. The standard procedure is to remove the ovaries and the uterus um, through an abdominal incision. um, And that is what I do to this day. That's what all the vets at our practice do. And it's still standard. Although some people will call and say, oh, you just take the ovaries out, like all this stuff I've read about. I'm like, no, I don't really see a reason for it. So I don't do it. It's the same procedure. You still have to go into the abdomen. Um, they, there are places that do laparoscopic spays, you know, just without doing an abdominal incision where they oh, just go oh. in with the little telescopes and tie off the ovaries like pump in air right yeah yeah kind of expand yeah it's what you know like how they they do a lot of surgery like that in humans Mm -hmm. because human you know exploratory surgery or abdominal surgery is is much harder on people 
but you know, we really don't routinely do that for dogs and cats. It's a very specialty, expensive procedure. And the other thing about spays and neuters, you have to make them affordable because you really want the majority of pet owners to be able to afford that as part of the basic care of their pet. So, you know, a $600 spay, no, <laughs> that's not going to fly for for the majority of people. So, yeah, you want people to have that done. So you keep it affordable. Neutering is just removing the testicles, sometimes the scrotum as well, but removing the testicles. Um, That's right. And you can get like a replacement testicles, like yes, artificial they're testicles. they're called neuticles. <laughs> <laughs> and, they, and I've seen a few dogs okay. with them and they, they clang together very strangely. <laughs> Because <laughs> oh. they're kind of, they're metal or something. I don't know. Really? Yeah. Wow. So yeah. I take it you've never done this. Uh, I, I have seen it done a couple times. It's This is kind of a funny story. This was years and years ago. We had a vet student that um, he was doing a preceptorship, so his fourth year of, of vet practice. And uh, he really, and he was working in our practice. He said, I have a I have a great day and that I want to neuter, but I really want to put neuticles in it just for my experience. And we were like, Sure, that sounds fine because we don't have any clients that would uh, that really want to do that. So sure, we'll watch you do that. So he ordered his neuticles and he got his Great Dane in, and we neutered him. And you put the little—they're just a little, you know, ball-shaped implant into the scrotum and sewed him up. And he did not take into consideration that when he neutered the dog, it was about eight months old, and it doubled in size by the time it was a mature oh. adult. And he had these tiny little fake balls. <laughs> <laughs> so that poor guy, <laughs> he had this huge muscular dog. And, you know, he's a great Dane, so he could see, didn't have any fur covering anything. It's like, oh, my God, his balls are way too small. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the so, joys of being a vet. I know. And, you know, he went on to graduate from vet school and, and probably had to look at that dog for the rest of his life thinking, yeah. oh, yeah, I screwed up. <laughs> I got experience. But. Yes, exactly. I will not do that again. I will take all of that into consideration when my client asks me to put nudicles in their dog. <laughs> and, yeah, and if it's a puppy, you don't want to put them in too big. No, you you gotta you gotta you get, the timing has to be right. <laughs> Is that something you could do later on? Um, yeah, you could do it anytime. You could do it anytime. The the people that I think value it the most are like maybe a show dog or a dog that it's has proven itself to be a good breeding animal and it's bred its life. It's you know six seven years old. It's had its puppies. But the the show quality of it, they still wanted to have testicles. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can't have, of course, nudicles on the show ring. That is a big no no. I don't know much about the show world, oh, okay. but they, you know, they want to make sure that any dog that's out in the show ring is going to be able to reproduce potentially. Mm -hmm. So, anyways, it's it's just kind of a funny thing. I really don't know how popular they are. I. I've only seen them a couple of times. Not as popular as anal glands. <laughs> no, a... <laughs> no, it is not every day. That's for sure. <laughs> oh man, uh, when it comes to to pets and and uh, medicines, mm -hmm. because um, there's a I, it, it blows me away mm -hmm. about how many medicines there mm -hmm. are to take care of pets anymore. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Yeah. And a lot of them are, of course, human medicines and they're human counterparts. People are always surprised when we say that we can 
script things out, you know, to the Walmart pharmacy <laughs> because they're the same um, medications that you or I would take, but we use them in pets. So there's a lot of things like that that cross over. There are definitely some veterinary-only products that are wonderful, and they may have come from the human market. They may also be effective medications for this disease, but they have not gone through, you know, the proper um, investigations or studies to be used in humans. But everything used in the United States, at least, is FDA uh, approved. It has to go through clinical trials, even in order to be uh, manufactured for a dog or a cat. So, or a horse. I mean, there's a lot of medications that still have to go through FDA certification and and, um, testing, which is kind of cool to have that kind of regulation, you know, on pet medication. Um, Yeah, you'd want to keep away the quacks because I'm sure there there are several. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And, and, you know, we trust the sources of those medications, and I, I think drugs are as huge a thing in in animal medicine as they are in I mean, people medicine. I know it's huge for, for drug companies, but, um, but the drug companies that make veterinary products, I think they're doing pretty well as well. <laughs> and um, uh, the studies and the research that are going into new medications, like I said, and new ways to treat common diseases is really fantastic. You know, they're still trying to come up with the cancer shot, yeah. And, yeah. You know, things that start in animals eventually come to people. You know, they start with ideas in, in animals and get them FDA approved in animals, and they take that idea and I think they move on to, to try to see if it's an idea that could work in humans. So um so no, it's it's exciting. There's always something new on the horizon and there's a huge level of research for pets, you know, for their for, for medications to treat them and um, availability. I mean, it's funny because vet practices have always been their own pharmacy, which is different than yeah. human medicine. Like you walk in the door at our practice and we're going to send you out the door with your amoxicillin. Yeah. We're not going to say go to wherever and get your amoxicillin pharmacy, script, yeah. you know. Um, and that I think was days of old when the, the vet drove around with its, with his bag of goodies and maybe Mm -hmm. the doctor did too. And it was sort of one-stop shopping, but people these days, there's so much availability for where to get their prescriptions filled. There's, you know, local pharmacies, there's online pharmacies, there's online pet pharmacies. It's, it's kind of crazy actually that people have so many choices and I'm not going to say that anything is cheaper if that's what you're looking for or more convenient. It comes right to your door. That's great. Um, but yeah, you know, and I respect all that. It's like, what would be easiest for you to be compliant and treating your pet? I'm happy to do whatever they need, need done, whether it's an online script or, you know, however you can get the meds. Yeah. And, and feel comfortable giving them because that's, <laughs> that's the other part of it is, is compliance. And if they're not going to, not going to give it and not going to get it and not going to give it, then it's not going to do any good. Yeah. So. And, and giving animals medication. <laughs> that's the other, that's the other, you know, veterinary joke about how to pill a cat, right? <laughs> oh yeah. I've never had to do that. I've never had to mm-hmm. give a, 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 a pill to a cat, but I've had to give dogs several and, mm-hmm. you know, um, 
like uh, a dog, like go with a dog Daisy. I mean, she had to take multiple pills mm-hmm. every day, and she yeah. just like tried everything. Yep, peanut butter, oh, yeah. just spit it out. You know, used to, <laughs> bacon fat used to work, but then she spit it out, and then we we'd wrap it in bacon. Yeah, and she'd eat the bacon and spit. Oh out. And man, like, they're good. They yeah, are good at that. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Yeah, a cat can eat a whole treat and then just regurgitate the pill out of its mouth, and it's like, how did you do that? <laughs> how did you even do that? Wow, is there? Do you have any hints? Any, any um, advice for people who have to give animals pills? And- Kevlar gloves? No, <laughs> <laughs> especially for cats. Yeah, no. Uh, well, I mean, I think if they'll eat it in a treat, that's ideal. But there are so many dogs. My dogs are pigs. They will eat anything in a hunk of peanut butter they don't even know that there's something in it i used to just put pills in my dog my labrador's bowl and they just eat it with their food because i ate so fast but i know that there are a lot sneakier pets out there dogs and cats and um yeah you just have to be smarter than them sometimes yeah (laughs) just whatever you can do yeah switch it up on a daily basis yeah i mean we tried Everything. Yeah, I know. Everything. It can be so hard. Put, put it in a, a chunk of uh, of pork chop. Right, right. Eat the pork chop, out goes the bill. Gone. Damn you, dog. I know. I love you, but I want to strangle you. <laughs> it's funny because, you know, we see so many dogs and cats and we're like, oh, we are all very well versed in just popping a pill down their throat or, you know, you know, we just pill them, basically open their mouth and put it down the back of their tongue and... There are dogs and cats that kind of go through all of the experts in our building and like, yeah, that they weren't lying. I cannot get a pill on my cat. Wow. <laughs> so you have to think of the other things. And, you know, the pharmacists, the compounding pharmacies are pretty in- ingenious in coming up with flavored liquids and, uh, yeah. you know, things that they take orally. There's even what we call transdermal products now that... Go on the cats, of course, especially are notorious for being difficult to get oral medications into. So, um, so that's transdermal creams that go on the inside of an ear and absorb into the bloodstream and and give effective blood levels that way. So, so yeah, they're, we're always trying to be a little bit smarter than them, but sometimes they do win <laughs> either way. <laughs> wow, yeah, and then you know, you like you're talking like, uh, how do you like it with how do you diagnose? Because you get you get this animal in there, so you're getting uh, uh, somebody who's saying this is what they they see. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So how do you diagnose something that can't tell you what the problem yeah. is? Boy, the history taking. I mean, we do f- the physical exam is huge as well for us because sometimes there's something on the physical exam of the pet that the owner doesn't know how to look for or hasn't even noticed that can give us clues. But history taking is an art. It is an art form. What history taking? Taking the history of why that pet is in front of you that day. Ah. Like, what happened a week ago? When did you first notice this? Uh, Has it gotten better or worse? Has it changed? When does your pet throw up? You know, hours after it eats or a minute after it eats? How does it throw up? Did you take a video? I mean, we love cell phones for that reason in, in particular is that they can take a video because, you know, here's the pet sitting in front of you, maybe shaking, maybe sitting under the chair or looking for a treat in the room. And it's usually not doing 
what it came in for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it's, you know, it's like your car. It doesn't make the noise when you take it to the garage. It is right. exactly right. like that. It's right. like they've been limping for three days, and here they are in your exam room, and they're doing nothing. Uh. So people are great about taking little videos so that we can actually watch what the pet is doing. But, but, but gleaning information from the client and the owner is... Um, is certainly something that that you get better at as you go along, asking all the right questions. And um, it's funny because when, when we talked about, uh, you know, the glimpse into the lives of your clients, yeah. what's really hilarious is a husband and wife Uh-oh. that sit in front of you with their pet, and each of them has a different story. Or they start getting snippy with each other, like, I told you he was doing that on Wednesday. Well, I saw it on Thursday. And, you know, <laughs> you're just like, okay, we'll just call it three days ago. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it, it really is funny. And you will very, very many times get a different story from each person in the household. You know, like the wife brings the dog in, and then you call and you talk to the husband, and they're like, Oh no, I didn't. I didn't think that's what was going on. This is this is my story of what happened. So you you really have to take all that information along with your physical exam and maybe you've done some basic testing, and come up with a differentialist and a treatment plan. And it's so easy. Really? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. no. Okay. <laughs> See, it's so easy. Well, that's what my my you know newer vets are like. Oh, okay. How did you do that? I was like, well, you know, it really experience and um, practicing, you know, in a very um, engaged way. It really helps you to become better over time. You really kind of learn the things to watch for, and learn the things to look for, and learn mm-hmm. the questions to ask. And sometimes you kind of think you know, like, what's going on with the pet? Like, oh, well, it. It likes to chew on socks and laundry and steal things, and it's been vomiting for three days, and they're telling you a huge story about, well, they tried some Gatorade and this, that, and the other. And like, what I really need right now is an x-ray on your dog because it probably is the sock that you thought playing with three days ago. (laughs) And you're missing one of the socks. Yes, yes. Well, what's funny is when the dog eats both the socks. That happened to me once. It was hilarious. (laughs) Because the, the the client brought the little dog in and said, she runs around with my socks all the time and she's been sick and, you know, the x-rays were somewhat inconclusive and we could feel her belly and she was really painful and tense and we decided to take her to surgery and um, and explore her belly because we were concerned that she'd eaten something. And we pulled one sock out and you're like, oh, yeah, there we go. We got the sock. And, you know, you always kind of do your finishing exploring like oh my god it's the other sock and it matched the first sock <laughs> it actually matched the first sock and i remember giving them to that client and that poor girl was like i never wear these socks i would never have even have missed both of these socks i would never have known she was sick oh, <laughs> i know it was just man. kind of funny so, wow i know it's yeah the things we pull out of their bellies is kind of hilarious sometimes <laughs> wow you know and that's something i had read when i first got uh pet was that don't have a sock as a toy 
because because yeah. then they associate socks yeah. with being a toy. Yeah. And you don't want that. If you shoes too. Shoes, yeah. yeah. Like, you know, just give him my old leather boot to chew on. Ugh. No. <laughs> no. Then all your old leather belts. <laughs> yeah. 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 Do you have a, do you do a lot with dot with a pet behavior as well? Are you behaviorists? I mean, well, um, we you have to know something. Yes, I mean we do a lot of. There's a lot of behavior involved in everything we do, um, and people come to us sort of as a first line. There, veterinary behaviorists is sort of a new specialty out there that's greatly needed, but there's not near enough of them in the world. Uh, we're lucky enough to have one at WCU, actually, but she's booked up three months in advance. I mean, she is just very, very busy. Um, but veterinary behaviorists are, are amazing, and I think that they tell you when you come in to talk to them about um, the problem your pet is having, it's like a two-, three-hour appointment. Because, and, you know, we do some of this as well, but it's not just, yeah, he barks when people walk up to the house. There's so much more to it than that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, why is the dog barking? What is the trigger for that bark? Is it, is it fear? Is it protectiveness? Is it, is it, you know, aggressiveness? So I don't know. It's, it's, it is a very interesting field. And, um, the thing about dog behavior and cat behavior too is huge is that it's not an easy fix. It's never an easy fix. You know, it takes commitment from the patient, or I'm sorry, from the client. It takes commitment from the client to really want to try to help the patient to change and do the positive behaviors that they want it to do and not do the negatives. But there are a lot of really bad behaviors in dogs that maybe could have prevented, maybe could not have been prevented. Um, and unfortunately the shelter ends up with a lot of those animals and it is very difficult to train them to be better at the shelter. It takes very committed oh, yeah. people, you wow. know? Yeah. That's behavior is a, is a problem. It can be a big problem for a lot of people. And it's sad because I think there are sometimes, um, triggers or, or indications or red flags that go up when a, a pet is young that people don't recognize and they either condone the bad behavior or sort of feed the bad behaviors, not even knowing that they're doing it. And they end up with an adult dog that either is not good for them and their family or not good with the rest of the world. And it really can affect the person's life. Or it can affect the animal's life if they say, I just can't keep this dog anymore. And then you're kind of up against a brick wall sometimes because changing behaviors at that stage of the game can be very, very difficult, you know, depending on what the behavior is. So that's a tough one. And we do see that more often than we like to because those aren't people that go to behaviorists. Mm. They just come to you to try to fix the problem in one appointment. Oh, that, yeah. takes, that takes 30 minutes. <laughs> Oh wow! Yeah, I mean, just like, yeah, just just yeah. training your dog just to go outside, you know. Yeah, no, is, that's easy. Yeah, that's easy compared to. The <laughs> but still, there's there's a training process, mm -hmm. and that just doesn't take. You oh know, yeah, no. And there's and all that. But there's many different theories on how to go about oh, that. Oh sure. I mean, do you create train? Do you not create train? Yeah. And how do you how do you go about yeah. that? And then, uh, like, geez, I mean, like you talk about dog barking. Yeah. Like, uh, uh, Rodi barked when he came in. Right. We, uh, we have tried and tried and tried. It's like, okay, somebody knocks on the door, let a bark, one bark. Yeah. Okay, good. That's okay. And then sit and just be still. 
Okay, they knock again, you can bark again. The knock, you can bring a bark, but you know, how but how do you stop the rest right. of the barking? Right. Hush. No, don't do yeah. this. Sit. Oh Here's a treat. And so and not only like that, but when it's all psychological, yeah. you know, because then yeah. if you give a treat because they're sitting there, they think, Okay, I sat, but I sit all the time. I should get a treat when I sit, not because <laughs> when I, I didn't bark, you know. It, right. And you have to do right. it exactly after they do the thing you don't want them to do yes. to correct that behavior because dogs don't have association. Yes. Like yeah. when people come home and they yell at their dog for getting in the trash, like, hey, you're home. Right. And then, then they then yell they get at the in dog trouble. because right. they're happy to see you. I know. I know. Wow. Yeah. Know. And that's and that's, and a, that's just from what I know. No, and that's all correct. I mean, you're right. I mean, and you've obviously trained your own dogs and you know that it does take time and consistency and you have to do it every single time or they're not going to learn. And I'm not going to say they're not smart. There are some dogs that are way smarter than others um, and some dogs that are very difficult to train and some dogs that train very, very easily. But um, but yeah, it, it, it's definitely a commitment. And you know what? If you want that pet to be... A, a great part of society and a companion for you and all the things that you do, it's worth it. It's worth every minute of training him to be a good citizen, you know, just to be a nice dog and to be a dog that you can take for a walk down the street and a dog that you can have in your home and not fear for your closest possessions to be destroyed. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh. But I think a lot of people also... If their dog has a poor behavior, it's easier for them to modify their life to accommodate the dog. Okay, the dog dog barks at people when I walk it. Guess what I do? I don't walk it. (laughs) The dog barks when I leave it. Guess what I do? I don't leave it. It's, It's very interesting. Wow. So, so people really try to accommodate the yeah, animal. Yeah, they do. And it kind of makes the dogs worse sometimes because a dog that barks when you leave it needs to learn how to be left, not just never be left. Yeah. And they can learn that. They can absolutely learn that. You know, we have people all the time that come in and say, oh my God, they've never been away from me. They've never been away wow. from me. And you're going to take it over there and trim its toenails. And we say... This is good for it to have this experience, and we're going to make it a good experience for them, and they're going to learn that they can trust other people in the world besides you. It's great that you have that bond, but, you know, it's it's good for them to not be so scared all the time. So, yeah, it's it's a learning experience for some people wow. and pets. Wow. <laughs> That's, wow. I, I'm blown away. The, the dog <laughs> has never been away from me. Oh, people say that all the time. And I think that a lot of people do, especially people that maybe are retired or they don't leave the house for work or they can take their dog to work. And I think that's great for their bond with their dog. But when something actually happens that they have to leave the dog, what if they have a family emergency or, you know, life happens? That's when it's bad for the dog because they don't know how to deal with being away from their person. Right. It's much better to raise a well-rounded dog that, you know, that you do leave at home when you go to the grocery store. Dog doesn't have to go to the grocery store. Doesn't want to. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's and it drives it nuts. Yeah. I mean, so Why I can smell all there? these things. I know. And there's people and there's carts and I'm way down low. And, and you know, you're people... telling me to behave and like, why am I here? You yeah. don't need to be here. Yeah. 
So it is kind of funny, though. But, you know, you see that more and more that people want to take their dogs to the restaurant and they want to take their dogs to the store and they want to take their dogs in the car. And it's like, well, I mean, I, I, I get it that you guys are best friends or whatever, but it's better for the dog to learn that it doesn't have to go everywhere with you. Yeah. Yeah, I I I love my dog, but I and I I think it's great other people have dogs, but when I don't like dogs to be in a restaurant. I don't I like agree. I don't like yeah. pets in a restaurant. I yeah. don't I really don't like pets in in the grocery store. No, I agree. Um yeah. or where there's a lot of people socializing. It can really stress out a dog. Yes, now, I used to true. go to a brewery here mm-hmm. where they had, uh, you know, you could bring in mm-hmm. your dog. Mm-hmm. It was nice. It was mm-hmm. really, but, uh, you know, you're, you're also bringing a certain clientele. Yeah. Um, and yeah. do you really want to have pet hair flying around mm-hmm. where they're brewing and, you know, yeah. creating things I've, I'm going to consume? Yeah. Um, yeah, I've got a, I have a, I don't want that. I don't want a pet yeah. to be normalized so that it go, can go the same place a human can. Well, yeah, I, I would agree. And we do have to think of the people in this world who really want nothing to do with dogs. And yeah. we, do we want to ostracize all those people from these places of business? There, I mean, there, sure, there's people out there that are go, I don't really want to go there because every time I go there, there's six dogs in there and yeah. I don't really like dogs or whatever. I don't know. Or it's allergies. Just, I mean, like allergies was, are huge too. When I was yeah. a kid, I got bit yeah. by a dog. You know, yeah. and I was scared of dogs for I bet at least yeah. ten, if not more years. Sure. I just avoided right. dogs, and I was nervous around them. Yeah. And then you know that dogs can t- know when you're nervous yeah. around them. Yeah. Sense fear, and I'm like, I'm scared of that dog. It doesn't oh, matter how big that yeah. dog was. And I was. That's hard. Yeah. So yeah. everywhere you go, somebody had a dog. I was like, I'm not comfortable. Don't want to go there. Yeah. No. Yeah. And and I think a lot of people don't consider that part of the population when they do take their dog everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I don't yeah. Everybody loves dogs. Well, no. No. This is mm. this is why there are cat people yes. and dog people. Yes. Some of them cross and they're cat and dog people, yes, but it's true. Yeah. But some people some people don't want anything to do with pets. Period. That's okay. <laughs> They have their rights. <laughs> Except bird people. They're weird. They're re- <laughs> yes. Bird people, horse people, they're weird. <laughs> no. No, it's funny. Yeah. Or people that love their lizards like they would love their little, a little kitten. That's yeah. okay. Or rats. Rats are great pets. I've, people I've love rats. rats. Yeah. yeah. Well, I've, well, I've, yeah, on, on my podcast this year, like I was talking about euthanizing pets and I had a couple of pet rats. How do oh, you, how do yeah. you euthanize a, a rat? I can't. The, uh, talk to vets and they wouldn't, you know, they're not going to euthanize it. It's a rat. Oh. Right? That the, oh. This is why. Euthanize yeah. rats. All the, we, yeah. Well, not, no? not, not, to, not in Ellensburg <laughs> in about 1990 <laughs> something or other. Oh. Maybe 2000. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So I had to look up online and ask, like, how do you euthanize a pet? So hmm. one was you put it like a, a rat. One is you put it in a plastic, a paper bag and you put it on the tailpipe of your car and. Really? Yeah. And, and oh, so I tried that God. and it's just like, you just hear the scritching, scritching, oh, scritching on the bag. Horrible. Couldn't handle that. So, but it needed to die. It had this, it had a goiter like yeah. around it. Like it couldn't walk. It could, cause it, it it's front legs. I'm it so looked shocked like a goiter. that somebody wouldn't euthanize that rat for you. Yeah. I asked and they go, no, we don't, we don't euthanize. It wow. has to be a certain size of pet. I don't remember exactly. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. But wow. I'm like, what do I do? How do I get rid of this? You know? So the thing that I did was I put it in uh, in the freezer, 
in a wow. And they. And, I'm sorry, Tom. That makes me really yeah. Sad. And so I put it in the freezer because, well, I mean, it's just going to freeze to death, yeah. right? But uh, and then I don't know what to do. I'm not going to go out and hit it with a hammer or know. you know or smash it with a rock. I mean, I, I just know. can't. So it's scratching uh, in you know in the freezer, and I had to leave. Oh they come my back a couple hours later, God, that and is it horrible. yeah, and it had gotten out of uh, its container and was you know had feces all over the, the frozen oh. stuff in the freezer, and it was just like frozen, that but is, it worked. It worked. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, dark, cold, frozen. I I felt bad, but what am I supposed to do? I, no. I, yeah, it's, it's horrible. <laughs> that is so horrible. Yeah, and then like okay, I don't hear the scratching anymore. Open it up, and there's just you know. Rat feces wow. I threw everything out of the freezer. Oh, threw it away. no doubt. Uh, wow. That yeah, is so really was, sad. Yeah. That is really, really yeah. sad. <laughs> I could never have done that. I couldn't have done that. Well, I, I, yeah. I had to do something. Yeah. And that's, no, that's I what you. I chose. Well, Good or bad, is, indifferent. That's I know. what it was. That is, that is unfortunate. And, you know, back to that euthanasia discussion, it's like yeah. it's so necessary. And if an animal is suffering, well, yes, Putting it to sleep is the choice that needs to be made, humanely, yeah. without it suffering more. So that's why I'm, you know, I'm an advocate of that. If you're not going to do anything else and your pet is suffering, we need to put it down. It's not fair to it to continue to live this life that it's not having any enjoyment out of. Yeah, so. and it's a and that's a difficult decision. It is, and some people don't know how to make it, and you know we're there to counsel them through that decision. Um, and it's you know more good days than bad days, and quality of life, and anything in your day that you enjoy. Does your pet have anything in its day that it enjoys anymore besides sleeping? Well, just even laying they, in. sometimes they don't even rest; they're just oh. laying there like I can't even sleep. I'm in so much pain or discomfort. So, and that's the thing too is that you know, um, the I was saying, well, I, she doesn't doesn't look like she's in pain. Well, animals don't really show pain. No, they don't. So they how don't. do you know? You know, yeah. it just it doesn't wince. It doesn't. No. You know, doesn't. And if it's sitting there whining and whimpering because it's in so much pain, well, you it's know, really bad. That no, is that really is bad. Very true. That yeah. is very true. No, it's. It's hard. You you do have to anthropomorphize a little bit because you think, well, if I really felt that bad, like I wanted to die, would I be hiding in the closet under something and not want to talk to anybody? Yeah, probably. Yeah. That's what your cat's doing. It's trying to tell you something. It does not feel well. Yeah. Whether or not it's acute pain, it's hard to say, but it does not feel good. Yeah, and something like uh, what, that I know is very common is people wait too long because yeah. they want to make they get every day out yeah. of that pet, and that's yeah. something with, that uh, Lisa and I we talked very much about. It's yeah. like okay, well, we, then we started thinking okay, when because we, we couldn't take Daisy for a walk anymore. Mm-hmm. The last mm-hmm. walk she had was to the vet oh, and, and yeah. back, and I had to carry her oh. most of the way because she just couldn't make it. Yeah, um, and I'm like okay, can't walk her anymore, right. you know. And then she would have like a good day. Like, yeah. Okay. Well. Yeah. Then, you know, then like she couldn't stand up on the, on hardwood yeah. floor. Like yeah. she would have a very difficult time just yeah. standing up. Time to go, Daisy. Yeah. But you you don't yeah. want her to just like not be able to get up and right. then, then euthanize. No, still. No. That's, and that's, tough. that's an individual, um, an individual decision for a lot of people. And I, and I will tell people that I've diagnosed your dog with X. It's a bad disease. And it's what's going to make you decide to have to put it down at some point. Some people would rather just do it right then. 
even if the dog is still feeling pretty good, I know it's going to suffer. I know it's going to have some bad things coming in its life. And if I choose to not let it even experience that and go on a day that it feels great and doesn't even know it's sick, I respect that. I could never do that for my own pet, but there are people that make that decision, and I fully respect them. I'm wow, not going to judge them. Yeah. I'm not going to. I'm not going to say they're doing anything too early because that's their relationship, and that's for them, and that's for the one that they love. So it's okay if they want me to help them make their pet more comfortable for as much time as it has left. I am happy to do that. And you know, is that for them or is for that for the pet? And that's the other thing. You always have to put yourself in the shoes. Am I keeping them alive for another two weeks for me or for them? It's usually for you. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes I want people, I say, well, they, they feel okay right now. Do you want to take her home and say goodbye to the family and let the kids see her again? They're like, no, I don't I want to do this now because I think it's the right thing to do. And I, it's, it's not the wrong thing at all. It's not the wrong thing at all. Sometimes I want them to take them home and say goodbye to the family more than they do because I just feel like that's what I would want to do. But I can't put my feelings on to, to most people. They all have their own reasons for making those decisions. And it's all okay. When do you say no to euthanizing? I have said no on many occasions, actually. Um, a young pet that has a fixable condition, like a broken leg, I will not euthanize a dog for a broken leg. If it's a perfectly good dog otherwise and the owner just can't deal with it or can't uh, afford to fix it, I will try to make that work for them in any way, shape, or form that I can. Um, And if not, then we will talk to a rescue organization or a shelter that would put the money into fixing the problem and then they don't get the pet back. Obviously, it's adopted out. But if it's a perfectly adoptable, happy, healthy animal with an orthopedic injury, that's not a reason for euthanasia. We can fix it. So Same with like horses, because there's like this old, you know, in the West, the yeah. horse breaks a leg, you shoot it. You know? Well, I mean, horses really need all their legs. Dogs and cats can live with three. <laughs> so if amputation is the only, I mean, there are ways to fix a leg, obviously, before you amputate every broken leg. But, um, but there are options. Yeah. I mean, horses have a harder time if they have a bum leg than than most dogs and cats. So, I mean, we take all that into consideration. And there are people, it's kind of sad sometimes, where like a little old lady that has her little dog with every tooth rotting out of its head. It's never been to the vet before. And she comes in to put it to sleep because it can't eat and it's in so much pain. And you look at the dog and you say, we don't have to put him down. We can do something for it. We can help it to get through this and take its teeth out and antibiotics. And they are crying. They're so relieved. But had nobody listened to them and they just walked in the door and said, put my dog to sleep, it's suffering, and not talk to someone who said, well, what it's suffering from is fixable. It takes some money, yes, but they were okay with that. And she was so happy. (laughs) <laughs> that yeah. that dog could go home with her. She said, I thought I wasn't going to be leaving with him today. Oh. So it's just interesting because to some people, that's the only answer is to put the animal to sleep when it's suffering, that there's probably nothing that can be done. It's like, well, we have lots of things we can do. You just have to ask us. It comes back to that uh, the one thing you can do is go yeah. see the vet once a year. Yeah, 
Yeah, talk about all those things that are going to keep your pet happy and healthy. You know, and I, like, uh, when I had Daisy, I was like, I yeah, get her teeth cleaned. It's a dog, you know. <laughs> and then started having health problems because mm-hmm. of bad teeth. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea. I yeah. mean, literally took her in the first time. And she, I don't know, she's probably eight, maybe 10 years yeah. old for the first time to get yeah. her, go in there. And they take out like three or four teeth right. and get them cleaned. Different dog. Right. So happy. Like so, so happy just yeah. having healthy teeth. And, all, and then later in life, um, when she was having some health problems, she has a, he- a heart palpitation. And Dr. Kurt was saying, well, you know, that could be because of some tooth issue going mm-hmm. on. I'm like, what? Yeah. I, I had no idea that healthy teeth yeah. had, was so associated it's with huge. a healthy body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's huge. And I think that that most pet owners are very aware of the dental health for their pets. Especially bad breath is a yeah, big key. Yeah, yeah. And they're looking at their teeth and they know that that's a thing. So because it has become, you know, such a standard of care for so many vet practices over the last many, many years, I mean, not even greater than 10 years, 20 years even, it's like dental care is a thing. <laughs> And it's not so, cheap thing either. I mean, no, it, it. I mean, it can get very expensive, but preventative medicine is always less expensive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so. I and I know just like she was just a different dog. Mm-hmm. So if you're listening yeah. to this and your pet has bad teeth and you know it, take it yeah. in. Yeah, take it in. And get it, and you'll be so much happier yeah. that your dog will have better breath. Yeah, you'll be able to chew food better. Get rid of some of those rotting right. teeth. That, I mean, have you ever had a rotten tooth? I have I mean, not, but I. Or if think you have like so something that's like you know you Stuck. get to, yeah. or you know uh, you need to have a root canal of yeah. some kind that happens in yeah. life. How painful that is for yeah. you, and your dog has got multiple. Right. Ah. And they don't complain. I mean, that's right. You can't, right. Tooth pain is very difficult to diagnose in, in dogs and cats, too. Cats live with some really bad teeth sometimes because nobody looks in their cat's mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and by the time we see them sometimes, it's just like, oh, we should have we done their teeth years ago. You mm-hmm. know, they've just really had issues for many, for many years, and we can help those painful teeth. So, yeah, it's. It's education, and I love educating people about the care of their pets because, you know, there's definitely there are sentinels, and they're the the caregiver for this for this animal, and you've taken that on yourself. So, you shouldn't ignore the symptoms that you see, and if there's something that can be done about it, you should say, "Well, I guess I need to to move forward because my pet is telling me there's something wrong." <laughs> so I shouldn't ignore that. Yeah, man, this. Yeah. Is there, like, when somebody, uh, do you have any advice for people who want to get a pet? Oh, yeah. Get a pet. <laughs> no. What, it's, um, what do, should they have? Should they have anything before they get a pet? What, uh, what, well, what kind of, what should they do? I mean, like we said, having an income that would allow you to take the best care of that pet is, is part of getting a pet. But having time as well. I mean, there are a lot of people that have very busy lives and if they don't have the time for even, I mean, people think cats don't take a lot of time, but you really... They're very affectionate. They need human attention. Right. That's why we get them is because we want them to be with us. And if you're not home for days and weeks and travel all the time, you probably should not have a pet. Um, the outlets for people like that, because I think there's a lot of people that have lives that wouldn't accommodate their own pet. 
but they yet they still love pets is volunteering at shelters or rescue organizations and socializing some of the dogs and taking them for walks and you know there's I would go crazy if I never had contact with a dog for you know a whole day so I feel like I would be one of those people that would say I'm going to go to the shelter and walk dogs because that's what I love to do and I can't have a dog of my own so time and money that's all it takes like everything else (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> a little compassion and yeah well compassion of course i think if you want a pet or want to you know share your life with another living being like that you probably already have some compassion and some love to give and some love to get and um but i i think that the studies have shown for sure that humans benefit from those relationships hugely and the way they've started all these really neat programs where pets go to schools and pets right. go to nursing homes and pets go to hospitals. It's so cool. I think it's so wonderful for people in those situations that also never, you know, they can't have a pet. They're mm-hmm. homebound or hospice or whatever that they still get to have that interaction. Because there are some dogs out there that would melt your heart and make you feel like you're a million dollars. You know, Golden Retriever puts its head in your lap and gazes into your eyes. You're better. You feel good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're cured. <laughs> <laughs> Cancer be damned. I know. Woo-hoo. Done. Done. Yeah. This dog has done it for me. <laughs> I mean, there are just some amazing, amazing animals out there. Yeah. Just, I just love to see that. And even that bond that that animal can have with somebody who's not its own person amazing I mean, yeah. just trust and love and unconditional i mean i know dogs like that that are actually pet partners and pet therapy dogs but they just have that kind of love in their heart for human beings <laughs> i don't know why because hmm. they're dogs yeah a friend of mine uh, at work has a, a dog that was trained to be able to go yeah. and do certified to go in yeah. and, and do all yeah. the, everything yeah. you know to hospice and hospitals yeah. and nursing I think homes it's and so great uh-huh. so great i actually personally have a dog like that and she was a little rescue german short hair that had had a terrible life and gone to a home and been returned to a shelter and separated from her brother dog and but she has unconditional love for every human she sees. I don't know why. She never had a good deal of cards dealt to her. She was in shelters and she was kept in a kennel and she, you know, but something about her has made her just want to just be near a person all the time. So I just think that's that's comes right back around to why we have pets, right? They just, they love us unconditionally. They they don't judge us for anything. They'll do whatever it is we want them to do. And um, they want to please us in every way, shape, or form. So And you live longer. And you live longer. Right. You do. I don't know why that is. Me either. <laughs> well, but, the, you know, I know I've seen studies that say, yeah, you know. it's true. You get a pet, you live longer. Yeah, it's true. So, you know, and that... The, the people out there that say, I'm too old to get a pet, I totally understand that. That's a reason to not have an animal. I'm 89 years old, and mm, this dog I get's probably going to live 10 plus years. So why should I get a dog if I don't think I'm going to live 10 plus years? 
So, but those people having an opportunity to enjoy the company of a dog or a cat in whatever situation they are in, I think is such a beautiful thing because clearly it's something that means a lot to them, even if they can't take it on as a responsibility themselves. So I love those pet partner dogs. I think they're amazing. Yeah. You know, if a friend of mine, he's a, they, they're cat people. They've got like five or six mm-hmm. cats and, uh, and he lives out, he's got a, a fair amount of property in the Yakima area. Uh, and, uh, and I was like, uh, there's more water. If you mm, need. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, he, uh, and I was like, you know, his son gets to run around the, you know, like your, your son needs a dog. And he's like, cause we don't want a dog. Like, I'm not talking about you. Your do- your son needs a dog to go run around and just do stuff. Boy, dog, it's yeah. just a combo. Yeah. Yeah. Out in the, go out and climb a tree. Yeah. The dog's down there. Isn't that funny? Yeah. I've, I've been a matchmaker for people and dogs before, and it makes me so happy. You know, it's like, I know a dog that you need. Yeah. I saw it at the shelter, or this person is giving it away, and you need a dog. And to this day, they thank me. They say, we got that dog because of you. And we love her so much. She's such a part of our family. And I don't think we would have gotten her if you hadn't told us that we should get that dog. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, you keep talking about shelters and uh, it makes me, I need to go volunteer. Yeah. The shelter here is an amazing organization. I've been on the board of directors for um, the Humane Society of the Palouse for almost as long as I've been a veterinary. <laughs> wow. So a long time. And they're... Um, their heart is always in the right place, and they have some amazing people on their staff over the years. I mean, everybody who works at a shelter is has got a heart of gold. You know, that's their goal in life is to put these animals into a forever home, make them healthy, make them adoptable, make them, you know, ready to be part of a family. So I think it's really, really cool. And I think it's neat the way, even in the short time, short amount of time that they know that animal, that dog, that cat, they know this is the right person for you. This is the kind, like the, someone walks in and says, well, this is my life. I've got three kids and I've got a house and I've got a yard and I do this and that. I think this dog would be great for you. You know, they're, they're matchmakers. They're really trying to mesh those personalities. And I think most of the time they're right. They nail it. They get the right dog for the right person. Sometimes the right, it's not right. And that's typically clear, hopefully sooner than later for the dog's sake. But, um, you know, there are certainly dogs that, that work better in certain situations than others. Mm-hmm. So, but, but shelters do, I mean, they do a service that nobody else can do. And they're a blessing to most communities. And it's sad when there are communities that do not have shelters because it leads for animals to either be dumped or stray or not taken care of, pet population issues, you know, all those things. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, when we're like, and I can totally see how much it's needed in, in um, uh, uh, college type areas, mm-hmm. university yeah. areas, because. University yeah. students get a pet. Yeah. You know, they're trying it out. Yeah. It is way more work than I thought it's it would a be. Real thing. And then they got to move across country yeah. to get their masters yeah. or whatever. And then they yeah. can't keep a dog, can't yeah. keep a cat. That is a real thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, I know. <laughs> I'm I've, sure. I've, 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 I've worked with students and they're like, 
I got a cat. I just love this cat. But I just can't. I just, yeah. My life is going this direction yeah. and I can't. It's true. It's true. So that's when mom and dad sometimes play. And yeah, right. <laughs> unfortunately, the mom that has you know, all the pets that have belonged to all their kids as time goes on, and then they live their golden years out with the parents, and it's it's all good. Most mm. most parents are willing to do that, but they do say, this was my son's dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I was uh, a friend of mine, her brother would, lived in a fraternity and it had this they had this dog mm-hmm. zero training yeah so i'm like you know what i'll i'll give it a go you know yeah. i'll test this dog out i took it home yeah and that was dog was insane <laughs> it was insane <laughs> it would it would do it, they told it no or yeah. it, it took it knew the only command it knew was sit and it oh would sit gosh. and then get back up it would do right it would do the sit and then like that was it <laughs> that's all it knew it didn't know come it didn't know right. anything and it was nuts. I, like, wow. I can't. I couldn't. I couldn't do that. I mean, wow. I wanted to because this dog needed some some yeah. authority. Yeah. So because yeah. dogs want direction, they, they do. They want you to lead yep. them. Um, yeah. And well, with no direction. Yeah. Uh, and that yeah. wouldn't take direction. Insanity. Oh, yeah. Insanity. Nuts. No, it's true. They they do. They want direction and they want to please you. So even if it's sit, they're like, oh, I did it. What do you, what what next? Yeah. You know? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. You're happy? You like me now? You want to pet me? Thank you. You know, Elise did some study on, on because we have we used to have two dogs, mm-hmm. and she found out that dogs have about the brain of about a three to four-year-old oh, human. Oh, sure. Yeah. And so she w- used to work a lot with kids, and she goes, three to four-year-olds, they know how to take turns. Oh. So she was showing them different tricks uh-huh. to do, and she'd go, Rody, wait. Right. Daisy, do the thing. And oh, Rody would sit there shit. and wait. And Daisy would do the thing. <laughs> Daisy wait, and Rody would do the thing. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, that's very good. So remember that, people. Your yeah. dog is. I mean, three yeah. or four year olds are yeah. they're pretty quick. That's true. They can be. They can be trained to do a lot of things. What can dogs know? Like over two hundred words or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Oh, it's. A, there are some dogs that. I mean, I think they. I can look at. I can look at a dog, and sometimes with people that bring puppies in, I love to see the puppy look at the person when they're talking. Uh-huh. It's like. That's going to be a good dog. They are listening to you. They are waiting for a cue from you to do something. So uh, yeah, there there are some dogs that are way more into in tune with that than others. But no, they're they're way smarter than I think we give them credit for a lot of the times. Yeah, it just takes the right coaxing and you know training and commitment to get them to reach their full potential and cats are equally i mean oh, I, I don't cats. know if they have i don't know about yeah. intelligence can you do you know oh they could, they're uh, smart as heck yeah on the same as dog level kind of a, yeah, uh, yeah i think so mm-hmm. but on their own terms yeah. <laughs> <laughs> although it's there like, are people that train their cats to fetch and do things that you would not think a cat would do but they've taken the time and they have the right cat too you know, it's easy to give up on a cat because it's like, it doesn't want to do it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Do whatever you want. Because <laughs> yeah, it's going to anyway. Because it's like... right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're funny though. No. And I love dogs and cats probably equally. I'm one of those. It doesn't matter to me. Yeah. I I, I, I had a dream I got a cat. Oh, but I'm, interesting. I have a, but I'm allergic. I mean, I can oh, I can pet it, but if yeah. I touch the, my face, yeah. um, I'm yeah. going to be sneezing no, and... All that, yeah. but I, I still want a cat. There oh. are hairless cats. Did you know that? Yeah, that, I'm not kidding. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> I'm those not are, going that's there. a weird looking animal. 
<laughs> they is, are. That's a weird looking animal. Yeah, but they're still cats. They're they're actually very sweet cats. Oh, I don't I don't yeah. doubt about their 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 yeah. behavior, but they are funny looking. Yeah, I'm, no, <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, hairless cats. Mm-hmm. Well, it, I'm. Is there something that you like? You're thinking like hey, I'm going to come on this do this podcast thing and there's something that you want people to know about? Um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that, I think that, um, pets are so wonderful and good for us and for our families and, and taking care of them is our responsibility. And so, you know, speaking with your veterinary professional, you know, whether or not it's a technician or a, or a doctor and just kind of having a relationship there that's going to help your pet be happy and healthy. Um, and, and also on the shelter subject, just pet overpopulation is a real problem. You know, cats and dogs, that's just, they're not fixed. They're breeding out of control. And then those animals kind of perpetuate the problem of, not being trained and getting into trouble and being aggressive or feral. And it's just, you know, that those are real problems in the United States and around the world even too. So, no, it's, it's all, I don't know, humans have taken on the role of the caregiver to a lot of these domesticated species. So we have to keep taking care of them. We can't forget about them and, and say, it's not our problem at this stage of the game because they're all domesticated animals that have just kind of gone wild. What should be done with them? Well, I mean, trying to, I mean, that's a huge can of worms to talk about on many different levels, but I think we still need to take care of them, meaning spay and neuter them and stop their, stop their um, reproduction. I mean, that's, that's so like going out and capturing feral yeah. cats and yeah. getting and, them neutered and, and then, fixing them and letting them go because yeah. you don't want them you don't want them in somebody's house I would assume no many of them aren't fit for that I mean they really have sort of reverted to wild animals and there's you know certainly a, a school of of research that's trying to come up with oral contraceptives for a lot of these animals so hmm. that it doesn't even have to be you know uh, as involved as catching it and having it fixed it's something that's just going to keep them from being, from reproducing. So, you know, yes, you have a, a group of wild cats or wild dogs, and if you can keep them from reproducing, they're eventually going to die off or dis- d- disperse and diminish and then hopefully not repopulate themselves mm-hmm. with, you know, the wild dog that has puppies, and those puppies continue on being unsocialized and uncared for. So, yeah, it's, I mean, it, it is a real problem and it's, it's a huge discussion and there's people that spend their whole lives working on, on those, um, on those fronts. But, you know, it's not something I have to deal with on a daily basis, but I do know that it's a problem out there and there are people that have, you know, populations of animals that they try to take care of that is just way over their head and, you know, they're trying to, there are organizations that are out there to try to help them, but... They have limited funds and limited support, and so it's a struggle to to really try to make a difference. But uh, other than that, go get a pet. Yeah, I think everybody. Should, I think everybody who has the right situation should should have the benefit of having a pet. And if you can't have one of your own, I mean, I know they're 
lots of people that have them that would let you walk their dog or go to the shelter and volunteer. And I think it's a great way to get your little fix of, of furry loves. <laughs> <laughs> you need some face lickings for sure. Yeah, I know. I know. It's great. I do love dogs and cats and animals in general, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Well, is there anything else like you want to talk about? That- I don't think so. I mean, I, I, I do love hearing people's experiences, you know, just n- knowing that you obviously have had dogs that have been a big part of your life mm. and um, just kind of knowing what your impression is of of when you have taken them to the vet and when you've had, you know, we always hear one side of the story sometimes and mm. and say, well, we have all of our vet side of the story, but what was the client side of the story? How did we come across to them? Mm. Did, did they take away the message that we were trying to give them even? So it's, it's nice to speak, speak to people about their experiences, that whether or not it's me or my practice or any other practice. Because, um, because I think the majority of vets always want to do good. They are, they're advocates for the patients and for the animals that maybe don't have any other voice, even to their own owners, you know, even if the owner doesn't know what the pet is take, telling them, the vet has to be there to say, this is what she needs right now. So, no, and I think, I think most vets have that as a priority in their mind to take care of animals. Okay, well, great. Thank yeah. you so much for coming. Yeah. I really, really You're appreciate welcome, it. And, and just, Thanks uh, for asking. Yeah, my, my <laughs> knowledge of uh, anal glands. Is <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I opened your eyes to that. But don't open your mouth. So. <laughs> <laughs> if there's not a better way to end the podcast, I, I don't know how. <laughs> Thanks again. You're welcome. That right there, fun. And it's the total conversation way stories, experiences, and knowledge. Got it all right there, one package in just a couple hours. So much fun. It's the stuff you learned, the anal glands thing. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> we'll go from anal glands to thanking Moscow Brewing Company for sponsoring our show once again. Thank you. I very much appreciated. And I very much appreciate you for listening and uh, spreading the word of conversations. You enjoy it. Please tell other people, will you? Okay. Thanks. I'm Tom Cocaine. Over and out. Over and out.